It is Tuesday, February 13th. I'm in Wayland, Iowa at the community center, and we just got done with the Henry County Board of Supervisors public hearing, public commenting with uh, the folks from RWE who want to put a windmill farm in North Henry County, Iowa. And I'll tell you what, we, the United States is a representative republic, and uh, the folks came out in large numbers tonight to Wayland, and uh, their representatives, I heard them pretty loud and clear. So it'll be interesting to see if this windmill farm idea goes forward or not. And this is all brought to you by Griner Auto Body of Washington, Iowa, using state-of-the-art techniques and decades of experience to get your car back on the road after an accident. Car Doctor of Washington, Iowa. No matter who Frankenstein it, they can fix and clean and customize it. McDonald Boneyard of Kyoto, Iowa for all of your farm equipment and auto recycling needs. Hinshaw Trailer Sales of Richland, Iowa. You need a trailer? They've got your trailer and they fix what they sell and don't in their full-time repair shop. Girling Repair of Winfield, Iowa. If your mower is dead, call Fred, your Husqvarna, Aaron's, and Gravely dealer. He also sells Husqvarna snowblowers. B&B Propane and the family of Jet Stops present Southeast Iowa Today. I'm John Bain, author of Christie's Journey, The Beat Goes On, and your host. Get ready, folks. Over three hours. Here we go. Just basically have some. Oops, excuse me. Uh, now we've got. Don't try to talk over one another. And if you would just, when you do have a question, just please stand up and uh, ask the question. The members, I'll let uh, the RWE people introduce themselves. Thank you, Greg. All right. Um, I am Matthew Spaka-Panicha. I'm the developer on this project. I've been with RWE for two years now. Um, I kicked off this project in March 2022. Um, I also have a project in Illinois, two more in Iowa, and one in South Dakota, along with a battery storage project in Iowa as well. Hi, everyone. I'm Julie Drennan. I am the outreach manager for this project in Henry County and for RWE's Midwest projects. I've been in the renewable energy industry for about five years um, and with RWE for a year and a half and my focus has been wind energy so looking forward to the questions tonight that you ask we're going to have it very much focused on your questions. So. Hi everyone, Jim Eschler. I am a right-of-way agent for RWE. been with uh, them on multiple projects now for close to six years. I've been a employee of RWE now for almost a year. Um, worked multiple projects in Iowa, um, also in Wisconsin, and then I've worked power line and oil industry stuff too before that. So about 12 years in the right away industry. I'm Keith Leppard. Um, I'm one of the land agents on this project. I started this project when Matthew kicked it off. Um, I've been in this industry about as long as Jim. We actually have history together. Um, like him, I've been 
in oil and gas and renewables now. Um, I've worked with RWE on multiple wind projects. My name is Caroline Berkey, and I'm a land agent, also meet with landowners. I've been in the wind industry for about five years. Um, I'm uh, Dana Ladico. I work for RSG. Uh, we provide uh, sound studies, and we support RWE with uh, sound uh, studies. I've been conducting sound studies for a very long time, um, I guess almost 25 years, um, and you know, I've been doing sound studies for wind energy projects pretty much all the way um, across the my name is Joey Maroos. I work for Maroos and Company. Uh, we're property value experts. Uh, I've been doing renewable energy property value uh, studies since 2017. I've worked on about 70 wind projects from around the Midwest and Northeast, and about 30 solar projects throughout the country. One thing I do want to thank the city of Wayland, Wayland for allowing us to use their facility to conduct this meeting. So, thank you. All right, Tom, before we get to questions, I just want to provide just a status on the project so everyone can kind of wrap their head around kind of where we're at right now. Um, so, I kicked off the project in March of 2022, and it's a proposed 300 megawatt project that would comprise of approximately 60 to 85 or 90 turbines, just depending on the turbine megawatt capacity that is chosen later down the line through the procurement process and the development cycle that at the earliest would happen the latter half of next year. Um, the amount of electricity for 300 megawatts would be equivalent to the power produced would be 80 to 90 homes powered yearly. Um, Eight, sorry, 80 to 90,000 powered yearly. Um, the townships that we are uh, looking to have this project in, it's not taking over the whole town or township. It could just be a, a sliver of one or the other, but it's Cannon, Jefferson, Marion, Scott, Trenton, and Wayne. Um, as of right now, in the development uh, model and the steps, construction would be in 2026 with operations in 2027. As of today, we have 87 separate leases signed by over 120 individual landowners. Um, that is 58% of the land roughly needed for the project with a 30,000 acre project goal. Um, just depending on land, you can maybe need 32,000, maybe only 26. It depends on how that land comes together with the connections. Um, I began environmental studies in February 2023, so we're coming up on just over a year now. Those studies will happen for one more year. That's uh, eagle surveys, bat monitoring, and et cetera. And then we received a conditional use permit last March to put up two MET towers and a LIDAR system. Um, the MET towers is one at 218 and 78, just west of Olds, and then the second one is on 78, just southwest of Winfield. Um, and those were installed in uh, June 2023. Um, we also joined the Mount Pleasant Area Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Commerce. Yeah, so we do, we always look for areas to be more involved in the communities we're in. So the Chamber of Commerce was natural, but I know that we're not in Mount Pleasant um, for where we're working, where our land is. So I'm um, always open to suggestions of organizations that 
um, with like a partner or are looking for grants. Um, we have a community giving component to our work as well. Um, I don't know if I stated this, but over the 87 separate easements that we have, that is over 17,000 acres of land signed. So the estimated benefits to this county, um, so we do give, I mean, the, the, the main one is the tax revenue, which I think we shared publicly, but that is um, over $130 million over 35 years of the project life. Um, the majority of that does go to schools, um, and it totally depends on where the turbines are placed as far as which school district gets which funding. Um, so it's based on that placement. Um, and then, you know, so that 130 million or so breaks down to about 3.7 million a year. Um, the construction time um, estimated, we have about 300 um, construction time jobs. So that's short term, but we, it's important to list that. That is a, a short boost um, in industry for a 12 month or so period, um, sometimes less. And then um, there are the landowner payments as well, which is um, roughly 2.2 million um, per year in landowner payments over the project life. So, um, and then we as a company too, and, and what I hope happens tonight, we really endeavor to be a good community partner and um, just answer your questions as you have them. I know that this is a, a big project to propose for an area, so we wanna be just open with you and wanna hear your questions and always keep the lines of communication open with the county um, and the residents here too. Um, so, and then another commitment we make, um, this can be tough with job markets, but it's to hire locally to the extent possible. There will be eventually six, around six to potentially 10 um, operations jobs. And uh, if we can get local talent for those, great. So we're not, we're not gonna overpromise, but we will look local for those. Same with construction, we'll put out an RFP uh, for local contractors for construction time as well. So, um, that's a commitment um, that we have, and of course safety is a big commitment of ours too, and making sure that people are safe, comfortable, um, and everything is good with the wind farm. So those are our commitments. Perfect, thank you. Uh, so yeah, now we can open up to questions. We wanna have as much time for questions as we can. Yes. So I got a couple actually. Um, so how many dollars worth of electricity are you generating a year? Dollars electricity. Oh, we haven't gone through the PPA process and that's where we determine and set a price with who wants to buy that commodity from us. You surely have that, some. There, you surely have some idea or, I mean, you're, you're throwing out some large numbers here. You surely have some idea how much you're running could like for per megawatt, maybe that's in the $27 per megawatt, all the way up to maybe $45 per megawatt. So that's kind of the range that we kind of look at in at least the MISO market. MISO is this is the energy grid, and that's where <coughs> that range of dollars so you say can be in. We're gonna say 30? 27 to 45, um, say 32. 32. Yeah. So. But the energy market is, is ever-changing, though. But, so we, we know tax revenue, but the... So how many of... So it's pretty expensive construction. I mean, you're talking about a lot of money. How many dollars are you counting on from government subsidies? 
Yeah, great question. So we do not get any government subsidies up front. What we get is a tax cut. So that's a PTC, a production tax cut. So that is only provided for the first 10 years of the project, of this one, 35 um, years. So we only get that tax cut if we're producing energy. So everything that we put into the development, uh, rent payments to landowners, to the construction, that whole time, we are not getting any government subsidies, but we are taking advantage of a tax cut that's being offered to us. That's like if someone's having a child, they're gonna probably take advantage of the child tax credit, and we're just taking advantage of that credit that's been around since 1992. So that was put in. Whatsoever. Well, if you count that as a subsidy, that's a tax cut. Yeah. We don't tax see cut or tax credit. It's a tax credit. Tax it's credit. the production tax credit. There is a big difference in that. Yeah, so it's a tax credit, um, and I think it's thirty percent. It's so so that's thirty percent, and then there's there if we do American parts, there's there is an advanced manufacturing tax credit as well. I'm not familiar with that percentage. Is that a cut or a credit? As a credit. Okay. Yeah. Please clarify that. Whether okay. it's a cut or a credit. Okay, it's a credit. Yeah, all of these that we're quoting are credits. I, we don't see dollars in hand from a subsidy. So there's not, it doesn't really work that way. So it, it's just the tax credits. Um, another logistic question I've got. So it's 650 feet tall. Is that to the generator? That is tip height. Is that to the tip of the, about six, how high is your generator? That would be, no, no, that would be, 102 meters to maybe like 98 meters. You gotta talk. Uh, yeah. three, <laughs> sorry, like 350 feet to the generator. Uh, 350-ish to the generator. They give us they give, the manual gives it in meters, yeah. so we're doing the calcs right now. But it, yeah, 350-ish because it's about a 250 blade length. But it, it depends on model. We're giving you because we haven't selected the exact turbine model. There are some that we're looking at that are 592 feet. You know. speed is nine meters per second, which would be about 23 miles an hour. Yeah, let me double check on that. So, sorry, seven meters per second, 15.6 miles an hour. 15.6 miles an hour. That's a cut-in speed to get 100% efficiency. That's right now. Washington has got a six, about six to eight mile an hour wind. Mount Pleasant has a six to eight mile an hour wind. Fairfield has about a five mile an hour wind, and Muscatine has nothing. So you're telling me that you have to have 15 mile an hour winds to make these things work, and this is a really good spot to put them? That makes no sense to me. So this area, um, we look for a threshold of seven meters per second. And with our data that we're looking at, this area is at like 7.2, 7.4. So we meet the threshold for the wind. Um, you know, there are places that are windier, 
in Iowa that we have projects there as well, but we're just trying to find a place that has components of wind speed, tran uh, transmission, that's the highway that the electricity gets on, uh, open land, agriculture, uh, land is, is highly sought after because that there's no obstructions, so the wind is not slowing down, and then also community um, interest. If there's landowners interested, which there are over 120 on this project as of today, then that makes a good recipe for a wind project. Where did, where, where did you get your wind data from? There are publicly available sites that are out there from, say, the um, NASA has one, um, the FAA has one, but yeah. then the Met Towers that we put up, that's the local data that right. after 15 months, we'll be able to find where the best locations within our project area <coughs> are Because I, I disagree with that, because I run the airport in Mount Pleasant, um, and the wind data, I, I've actually met towers. Thanks for letting us know about those two, by the way, because mm -hmm. nobody did. <laughs> and I almost hit one this year, uh, the one by 218 and 78, because I spray several fields around there. Um, but uh, yeah, the wind, there's not that, uh, I disagree with those wind findings. And if, uh, if we find that in 15 months that it's you know not there, then we won't have a project. I mean, it's just yeah. one of the components that make up a project and if one's not there it may not make financial sense to go forward with it can i quickly yeah. add we, we did just visit a, a wind farm in in iowa that you know matthew and i were like nervous because we, we were seeing on our weather app the wind speed of like two miles an hour and we were like oh my god these aren't going to be spinning and they were but you know weather app reported to like two ish maybe one mile an hour to us but then we did see those blades moving so you know i I, I don't know. We, we do have to validate it with yeah. the Met Towers. Is, is that in nor Northwest Iowa? That one was west of here. It was not north. Uh, Centerville, it was Iowa. Iowa. Centerville, yeah. Because yeah. I've flown, I'm speaking from aviation, that's all I know. Um, in Carroll, which is in Carroll County, and then Denison and Sac City, Iowa, that area, in Fort Dodge area, gets a lot more wind. I've sprayed around them before. Um, which brings another question on the aviation <laughs> side for the agriculture. One thing they always told us is they would shut them down when we were applicating. Yeah. And we gave them a week. We told them we need we have a small window to get the application done because they had uh, at that time they had rootworm and they had um, the the tar tar spot. We gave them a week's head notice to ask them to shut them down. But um, what's the process on that? So yeah. So what? Here's, I'm going to describe the ideal process. I recognize that there, there are some times where this falls apart. So the ideal process is landowner knows the sprayer is going to come. They inform our local operations team, hey, sprayer is coming out. And then we can shut that turbine down in two minutes. So that's what should happen. I, I understand that landowners are like, sometimes I don't know, or like sometimes sprayer has got to catch the right time. So, so I know it's not perfect, but that's how it's supposed to work. That, you know, landowner or sprayer, if they have the ops number, can just say, hey, I'm heading out, we can turn that turbine off immediately. And then, so in, uh, with that, that's Northwest Iowa. I also spray in Northeast Iowa near Old Line, Waterloo, Waverly, uh, Charles City. There's wind farms up there. Different company as well. Mm -hmm. This one talking RWE, there's Mid-American up there, and then there's another one up there. Yep. I don't know about y'all's company, but did the same have the same process there too, um, and does it? There, is this there any wind movement behind the turbines? 
wind movement behind the yeah, disruption of air behind the turbines turbulence yeah the, yeah there, there is turbulence because the blade is cutting through through wind so, so that's why you should shut them down when you're spraying right but if so that doesn't happen would you say it would turbulence. cause drift then it may <laughs> yeah the, the studies out there have not shown a ground level wind change so so i know spraying happens above ground level but yeah. studies have shown there's not really a ground level change in wind speed um in fact there's there tends to be less wind because there's some studies that show there's some humidity increase, um, but it, it's not conclusive. So. See, that brings up another question too. Dew on the more in the morning on crops helps actually helps protect the plants, especially corn, beans, and well, when we have winter wheat come in. But um, those tur turbines I've noticed have dried that out, and that actually opens the plant up to more disease and spread of disease. So, I mean, have y'all done studies on that at all, or? I've seen studies where, where there's no effect shown, um, but we haven't in our, for our wind farms. That hasn't been reported to us as a problem. Yeah, and it, it, I mean, we have 3,000 wind farms, there's 72,000 turbines. We have 3,000 turbines out there, and 74,000 turbines are across the United States. And if this was so much of an issue, I'm sure the project would not be going forward and they would be shut down. Have, have you all talked to the NAAA, the National Agriculture Aviation Association, which is We'd love to. Yeah. I, I want connections with ag pilots. That's yeah. something yeah. that I would really yeah. like to have a conversation I mean, about. You know, not, not only from an agriculture standpoint, from an aviation standpoint, though it affects our altimeters. Okay. Um, have you all ever seen it affect GPSs in tractors or airplanes? Or? No. It's never been a concern that I've heard of, but I mean, yeah. I'm open to hearing if that's a concern and looking into it for sure. We, so, thank you. We did have oh, this gentleman back sorry. in the first. He didn't yeah. first, and then. The gentleman over there. Yeah. So, earlier, earlier you were saying 350 feet, right? <coughs> but last, last week or whatever, or sorry, 650. But last week or so, you said he was asking for another 25 extension. 25 foot extension. That makes it 675. That is, is uh, sorry, that's on the clearance, the lower tip height. So, when the blades is directly at 6 o'clock, the ordinance says 75 feet. We're asking for a clearance down to 50 feet. That so that 25 foot lower. What so is you that? Want to lower the whole tower to 25 foot. No, just a longer blade. Uh, because that longer blade. <laughs> That's what I was saying. No, no. So when it comes back down, the long blade is going to be up higher. No, the 650. The 650 assumes, will stay there. It assumes that longer blade. Yeah. So okay. yeah, it's the hub height is. Okay. Is yeah, the hub's lower. The blade is still at 650, but that lower height is down to. 50, and that just okay. opens us up so to different models. You want to lower the transmission after everything down to make the blades longer. That hub, we could, yeah, from that 320 feet to maybe closer to 300. Yeah. And then we could spray it. Well, it, the, so the models we're looking at, I, I just know the total number. I, I, the ratios change per model, but we're looking at one that's 592. There's a couple that are around 600. There's a, a 651 at the max that we're looking at. So all of these have different blade lengths and, and hub heights to accommodate those heights. So if we're asking for the, the blade length lower, it doesn't mean we want to add or subtract. It just means it opens up more models as options. Okay, so so the wind is down there is going to be lower. It, it, won't, it won't be up to 25 foot higher. It will be closer to that. Right. Does the height affect sound? I mean, it, so uh, the 25 foot difference doesn't make a huge difference. They're so far up in the, in the air. 
I've, I've watched hours and hours of footage of windmills and people sitting there in the house and, and just with the windows open, I mean, you can hear it and you see the windmill clear across the field. And these are only three, 400 foot tall windmills. These ain't 600 foot tall windmills that they're showing on these videos because they haven't come out with 600 foot tall windmills yet. They do, they have them. They, they are, they exist in Iowa. They do, they, they're already constructed 600 six, foot. Six years ago? No. Okay, this is the video that I was talking about. The six so, years ago? Oh, yeah, they so hadn't at that time. Okay. Bigger, so the blades are longer, so it'll cause more wind, more sound. So what, what we have um, from, if you're asking about the sound, so we have looked into, we did a study for uh, uh, the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory looking at the difference between having um, uh, more, basically if you increase the turbine size, which is kind of where the wind industry is going, uh, you result in fewer turbines uh, to get the same uh, energy output. And uh, from a sound perspective, it's actually better because you end up with less turbines. So even though each individual turbine is a little bit noisier, the setbacks are greater and there's less of them. So and so the, the overall sound looks a little I mean, it depends on the turbine and where you are, right? The closer you are to something, the louder it is, the further okay. you are, the less. So, the, so the, the World Health Organization has found that projection showing cell sound levels should be less than 30 decibels during sleeping periods. Yeah, so that be less than 30 decibels during sleeping periods. So that's an indoor level, and it's an hour. It's an eight-hour average. Uh, the uh, the ordinance uh, that is being proposed is 60 decibels, um, which is obviously higher than that. It's more a level that's more consistent with uh, traffic noise. Uh, the RWE uh, does work to design. Um, we have a, an internal standard which is lower than that. Yeah. And in the past, we've used 50. Um, or less, and that's, an, that's outside of, uh, of those residents. So if you talk about from exterior to interior, if you have windows open, it's usually about a 15 dB reduction, and if you have windows closed, it's 25 So, so people more. with hearing aids are gonna actually hear a little bit better than, their, than other people are, right? They're gonna modify <laughs> Absolutely. If, I mean, I, I know this for a fact. When my son wears hearing aids, I wear them, my wife wears them. I mean, there's actually, there's other people in here that wear hearing aids too. I mean, they're around the community with <coughs> Older people, older farmers. I mean, this is a generation. If you, I mean, these ain't young people. I mean, they got to sure. worry about that too. I, yeah, uh, yeah. So if you're if you're at a level of 50 outside, then the interior's uh, 35, basically. So that's um, with the windows open, and then it'd be lower if you have you know windows closed. So that's really in the same level as much of your like your refrigerator and your just the interior noises that are happening. This may be a question for the supervisors rather than you guys. I was down at the Mount Pleasant meeting last week, couldn't get into the, the meeting, was out in the lobby, couldn't hear anything. Uh, when you're reading the, the proposal um, and you're asking for lowering 25 feet, I think we all understand when you lower 25 feet, it also means you it's going to be 25, 50 feet overall length potentially taller are you asking for bigger setbacks because of the longer potential blades we will be addressing those things on thursday at the meeting uh, the current ordinance is available online which has been in force for numerous years and we had some proposed changes, which I read that, and I'm sorry you couldn't hear. I was reading as loud as I could. Um, <laughs> but 
on Thursday we will have what is officially the first reading, but it will be between Mark and I and Chad to go through that ordinance and make any changes that we see fit. Okay, because what I heard, what I thought I heard right here was you can generate more electricity with less windmills if you get bigger blades, but it's going to be noisier. So to mitigate the noise, are you asking for no, further setbacks? So, um, so each individual larger turbine is louder than a smaller turbine. Generally, I mean, it depends on the model, of course. But because you end up with fewer of them, the overall sound exposure is actually lower when you end up with larger turbines. Does that make sense? Because you well, have less if you're talking about a large area, but if you're real close to it, but the setbacks are larger, and so you, as an individual, end up with a lower because you're a step back further from the turbine and there's less turbines impacting you. What's the setback? <coughs> Two times the height. So that would be 1,300 feet to the 650. And I, I want to add something here. So when we do our wind farm layout and we, we put in the sound estimates based on the model and based on what you know our outside consultants tell us, um, it, essentially that will set the place of the turbine naturally. So we know, like we'll know where houses are and we'll say, okay, in order to hit 50 at the outside of that home or whatever, um, we've got to set the turbine. It's probably going to be more than 1,300 feet. Just we've seen that in other wind farms. It ends up being 1,500 to 1,800 feet just naturally to hit that sound level. So, so I think people think of setbacks and sound as independent of each other, but we do, or maybe not, but like we do set it based on the sound level. So um, we, we're not just going to ignore the sound level and set it 1,300 feet. Right, so we, we model each of these uh, projects and we're given, at, at that point in the project, there's an actual layout and we know what model of turbine is being proposed and we have the manufacturer data and we can put it in the model with the topography um, and it, um, there's a lot of conservatism that goes into it. We assume like basically the worst case weather where every single location is downwind from the turbine. Um, so of course, in reality, the weather is changing and so you wouldn't, you know, that worst case exposure isn't happening all the time. It's happening in a very small percentage of the time. Um, but with the modeling, we're looking for worst case at every single location. Um, and then, and then yeah, we model it and we bring it back to the design criteria or the ordinance and um, and we, you know, help to adjust those as needed. Back in the back row first here, and then we'll catch up over here. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Uh, my question is, um, where are the parts primarily uh, manufactured for these windmills? And then my second question is, um, RWE, is it a publicly traded company, or who, who's behind it? Like, what, is, it, is it global? Well, yep. What are we talking about here with RWE? Yeah, great question. So our parent company is a German company publicly traded on the German stock exchange. Uh, the company we work for is an extension of RWE called RWE Clean Energy. American company has 1,500 employees. Our uh, corporate office is in Chicago. We have offices in Austin, Texas, and also San Francisco, and I believe Pittsburgh. Um, as for your question about the parts, so we have 32 wind farms, large-scale utility. We have, we have several smaller ones, like in Centerville, Iowa. There's a three-turbine wind farm there that we own and operate, but um, out of the 32 wind farms, 16 of those are GE turbines. So all those parts, American-made, 
here in the USA and Tampa, Florida. <coughs> and yeah, and, and Vestas too has. So address the turbines, you didn't address the rest of that. Such as? Together parts, blades, power. So blades is one where it makes sense to manufacture them. You don't want to ship those because they're long. So it makes sense to manufacture them domestically. There, there can be electronic parts that come from Europe. Um, but yeah, sorry, what were you going to add? Yeah, I was just going to say GE is in control of that. They're the OEM. They produce that turbine, so it's up to where they, I guess, source those parts from. Um, but then we, we use other companies like Vestas is another one of our uh, turbine models that is really reliable, and that's what we like to put into a project. We want reliable machines that aren't going to uh, break down because these machines are mechanical, just like anything else, a car. You need to perform maintenance on it, and if you don't, it's going to just lead to them breaking down more and more. Over here, I had a hand. I'm not sure who it was. It's not here. I have a more basic question. What uh, relationship do you have with like Net American Access and Line Energy? What kind of work have you done with them on like the actual power grid and Iron County or Northern Iron County more specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, for Mid American, that's a competitor of ours. Um, we'll work with them. Um, if there's an ordinance change and we're both in a community trying to develop a project, we'll work with them and hopefully the county to have an ordinance where it's workable for a wind project to actually uh, maybe be built in a community. But when it comes to the grid, um, eventually I need to submit, which I will be doing next month, to MISO, which is Mid-Continent Independent Systems Operator. That's one of the 13 nonprofit organizations across the United States that regulates the energy. So a line in the area, you know, they may own the substation and the line, but the energy and where that goes is regulated by MISO. That covers Iowa, part of Missouri, um, most of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. So when it comes to, I think your question was kind of like the utility side, yeah. we interface through them with the MISO um, application process. Because they're gonna have to know if our power is going on their lines but they're not, you know, it, they are. They do compete because Mid American builds wind farms too. So um, we compete in that way. But it's not like there's not an automatic business transaction there. It that has to be. It, it's with the grid operator to secure capacity on the lines. Uh, I think I have the lady in the back row first, and then you. <coughs> you said now, how many farms do you have in Iowa, and where are they? So. Yeah, so we, we have three, so and these are recently acquired. We, we acquired a Con Edison clean energy business out of New York. They had three wind farms of three turbines each. So these are small. We, we RWE, um, we tend to build larger utility scale wind farms, but there's one um, just outside, it's just east of Mason City. Um, that's Mason Wind, I believe it's called. Um, one in Centerville, Iowa. I forget what that one's called, Centerville Wind. It wasn't creative naming. Um, and then there's one in Manchester. It's an M name. I think it's Manchester, Iowa, I believe. It's and what's the life of the turbine? Is that 35 years or? Yes, and the 35 years and uh, why that the lease is what it is at 35 years is because the manufacturer of GE and Vestas, and those are the models we kind of trend to, are telling us those turbines that we're kind of looking at is 35 years for life. Okay, so 
harbor puts it in, 35 years goes by, then what happens? Mm -hmm. So usually maybe coming up five years before that 35 years, I would approach the landowner with a new lease in hopes that enough landowners sign so we do a repower and that's where we come in at the end of the life cycle of the original project and the tower is usually sufficient to handle the new generators that would be put on so the generators would be swapped out sometimes the blades as well for a more efficient generator that would hopefully produce more power um, now say we don't get the buy-in from the community to do a repower well then it's our obligation to go ahead and decommission the project and get the land back to what it once was. Um, some landowners want to keep access roads because in the design process, landowners, we work with them in choosing the direction of the access road to get to the tower, and landowners can use that access road that we maintain through the life of the project. Okay. So they would maybe keep that access road when we decommission if they choose to. Okay, when you say decommission, you mean you remove the turbine from the Correct. Yep. property? Yeah, yes. we are obligated by county ordinance and then our lease has language in it for, for doing that as well so um, but I, I, I want to make sure we we answer the production the where parts come from question because I'm worried we didn't answer that fully that I mean it's like anything it is a global market but we do just I think Matthew's just trying to give an example of how GE investors are very American based um, but I, I mean I don't know if a particular nut or bolt came from you know overseas or somewhere but I just I want to be clear it's, it is a global market but we try to source American-made and there are tax credits that incentivize that okay John, okay. yes yes sir I'm just gonna piggyback on this are you gonna be with RWE in 35 years I hope so I want to retire there yeah so, um, okay I did a I was looking at the average wind speed in the during last year on the underground what is Cut-in speed is when that blade starts to go, to spin. So like when that's- When does it not, and when does it? Yeah, so it does at the Vestas is like two to three meters per second. Okay. So two and three starts cutting in, but most efficient is at seven meters per second. And the cut-out speed, when it's just too windy, windy, and we lock up the blades, and we pitch them and yaw them, so then it doesn't damage mm -hmm. the turbine. Um, at 24 meters, that turbine, that Vestas that we're looking at is 24 What would be meters. like the threshold for like, it's not windy enough out here? In, in, in miles per hour? I mean, not to make it. The calculation is huge. Oh, it's two times. That's rough. Miles per hour is only 1.2. Yeah. Um, so if you, have a, you have a 10 yep. mile an hour wind, you have 11.1 uh, knot, knots. So for meters per second, like five meters per second is 11 miles per hour. Okay, yeah, I think if we saw consistently wind speeds at tower height, we, I mean, I guess I don't wanna, if we, we know that optimal is seven meters per second or about 15 miles an hour. Um, and if, if, we, or if our met tower um, analysis were to show consistently much lower than that, I don't know if it, I, we could estimate 11 miles an hour, like consistently, then it'd be like, okay, the production value is just not, in the last year in this area, it's 7.83 miles per hour, and that's 3.5 meters per second. At what height is that at, though? Well, wherever they're taking the oh. meteorological. <laughs> there is a pretty, uh, this is not my expertise, but I do deal with a lot of uh, wind speed. But at the, you know, obviously it's windier if you go up yeah, higher. We'll go, up, we'll go ahead and talk. 
these don't talk in it, it's not your expertise. We generally know that, and this is why I gave the example of the wind farm we visited, and Dana would know this too, that when you go and you see on your app that it says a certain miles an hour, they're still spinning. So I, there is a discrepancy between ground level wind speed and 600 feet or so. And we, we make a lot of post-construction measurements, which is why I'm, I'm speaking to this as a sound expert. Um, so um, with post-construction, you know, for the, to measure at the ground level, uh, it needs to be below actually five meters per second, which is why I know that conversion. Um, otherwise, you're just measuring uh, wind noise, essentially. But um, we need the turbines to be running. And so the wind shear is, is pretty substantial. So when we're measuring, so when it's like usually like five, below five meters per second at the ground, it uh, can often be like 11 meters per second or more no. when we're out measuring. I, I, I disagree because I've been in aviation for over 30 years. You have to go to 3,000 feet before the wind changes that much. I mean, you, 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 at ground level, at Mount Pleasant, 748 feet AG or uh, MSL. You know what MSL is? I, I just get in. I'm, I'm yeah. again. I'm, I'm not I'm, a meteorologist. I'm, I'm just not, saying not, that's my experience. When, when we're measuring, because we get the we get the data from the wind turbines. They give us the wind data, and then we have our data because we have our own set, which is like the yeah. one right here, and we can compare it. And there's a you know pretty significant. I, I can I can teach you because it's just you have to get two two thousand feet AGL, which are above ground level, to get those kind of wind changes. We're just yeah, yeah. we're we're just saying for sound measurement wise, it has to be because she can't measure when there's a lot of ambient wind, so it has to be a unique condition of like very low wind speed on the ground and high on top to measure the sound level you're getting. So we're that's our experience. I, I don't know exactly. The, I'm just saying it's just not the same. Okay, hang on a second. Yeah. So on our on our vet towers that are out here in the community and then our other projects that we have also, those vet towers have different elevation of reading sensors going. I phone all around. Okay. So 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 what you were saying wind at three thousand feet. There'll be different wind readings on that MET tower from 200 foot down to the 100 foot one right. and whatever different elevations. So yes, there is different wind turbulences off the ground and to the, to the top height of that. So the highest that tower is is 200 feet. Right. So I know we're not measuring anything on that particular tower any higher than that. But the turbine head will be at, at say, 300 feet. And that's so, there, so there is a difference between 100 foot off the ground and 300 foot off the ground because our our instrument out there, the Met Tower, that's studying that, that's the readings that we're getting back from that. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say what you're saying is not right, but I know we got studies coming back that says yes, and like she's trying to say, there is different wind levels the higher you get up off the surface of the earth, plus trees, disturbances that, that can change. I understand that, Okay, but uh, my, my very high is 300 AGL, between fields when I'm spraying, there's not, there's not. <laughs> I've flown around that tower, I've flown out in western Kansas, that's a much bigger difference as well. From a, Take it from an aviation expert, <laughs> uh, there, there, there can be wind shear, the, wind, the lowest wind shear you can have is at 500 feet AGL, and that's at like a Cedar Rapids airport, any kind of airport. Uh, your data from the MET towers is different from a AWOS or an ATIS, which is Aviation Weather Observation Service or Air, uh, Aviation Tower and Service, uh, um, Innovation Service, which actually reads the weather and gets their information from NOAA. 
no uh, you know not yeah. no kids. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I, I but I, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. This gentleman over here. Did you get your question answered? No, we we went from wind speed to sound. I don't know why, but my question is like the data that you're collecting on wind speed are those like in ideal conditions? Because if it's after there's 24 hours in a period, if you have a 40 mile an hour gust, great. But the do the average? I mean, on the box is a 500 watt wind generator. Is it a 40 mile an hour wind? So it's not a 500 watt generator. I know we're dealing with megawatts here, but I'm saying that when do you guys say, okay, we have a gust, but it's averaging seven miles an hour, yeah. and that's below your threshold? Great question. So, um, like I said, development process. I mean, there can be X, Y, Z come up that can stop the project, and if wind speed's one of them, then that's what it is. But we do not make a determination on that average until we collect 15 months worth of data, which at this time would be about October of this year. Then we'll look at the data over those 15 months, what's the average per month, per day, and then we'll determine is there enough wind and where is the best location for turbines within the project area. Are you making construction plans as to where that information is going to no. be? Um, you can't, we don't know where they're going to go until the wind tells you, the data tells you. And you wouldn't know until there's Well, no, the Met Tower and the LIDAR unit tell us. So you, did you mean Met Tower? Just any, any, any data. I mean, it's just, it, if it's well, it's good over here, but it's not over here. You wouldn't know until you actually collect it there. Well, we, and then so. You're relying on NAFTA and the Wonderground. No, we have that. All these other places. The Met Tower is a rough right now. Right. We're gathering that information right, right He's now. saying location wise, we space them out. Yeah, the Met Towers cover that area. And sometimes they are designed to cover a good amount of mileage, square miles. So that data has been being covered. So to that, yeah, sorry. To that end, we, so Matthew mentioned the LIDAR unit. It's a light detection unit that shoots, that detects wind speed at how high up? Uh, 650 feet. 650 feet. So we do validate, what we'll do at first is we'll validate the measurement, we'll put the LIDAR unit, um, it's an expensive unit, so we, we prefer the MET towers because they're not as expensive. So what we'll do is we'll put the LIDAR unit next to a MET tower, validate the wind measurements between the two, because LIDAR will go up 600 feet, and then um, move that around too. So there is that LIDAR unit going around validating the 600 foot measurement. <coughs> What's so. too fast? What's, what wind speed would it show that? That 20, 23, 24 meters per second. <laughs> and that's just for that. Which is how fast? Yeah. How fast is that? I think, Matthew, that's too high. That's just for I think that it's miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> meters per second? That'd be 15 miles per hour. The, the turbine data usually only goes up to like, like 15 meters per second. We, we shut it off before 30 miles an hour. <laughs> Sorry, I think we're getting mis mixed up with the meters per second. It's before 30 miles an hour that we would shut it off. How much? Much before 30. And you would not want it, like they, they, there's a reason you see them still in a storm. Like you just, the and there, there's the ops team and then there's remote monitoring that says, okay, the wind speeds are too high, we've got to stop them. It is, you want- danger? Well, you, I mean, <laughs> It's been too fast. Danger too fast. It's gonna. What goes up? They go too fast. 
Um, you know, like a propeller, if it goes too fast, it can shatter too. So. I just know that it's a danger. I haven't seen it happen. You can find the videos on YouTube. Those are old. Those are old videos. There's scary videos out there. You have not seen that in, in, you know, in newer wind farms in Iowa. What they do is they just shut off the turbine. And it's something you can do very fast. It's a danger to the blades. It's a bigger danger to the turbine itself because it's in the thing that's working off of friction. So the faster it's turning, the more it's overworking it. So it can, it can shorten the life of that turbine or cause internal damage. So they don't want their planes in that situation. So that's Have a thermal event and catch on fire. Is that what you're saying? Do what? Have a, it can catch on fire if it runs away and friction. Not, not well, yeah, there's safety measures for that also, <laughs> but they're preventing that before that ever, that ever occurs. Isn't that kind of ironic when we're harvesting wind and shutting them off? Well, it's, it's weeks. None of us can control weather conditions, so therefore you have to you have to adapt to that and, and make your safety. It's just like driving in the rain. What point do you quit driving in the rain? You just keep going, or if it's raining so hard you can't see, you stop. You got somewhere to be, right? Well, you can pull over on a Okay, that's what they're doing with that winter. They're, 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 they're pulling over for five minutes to a weather passing. Same scenario. Scott. Uh, we're going to go over here. This gentleman had his hand up a long time ago. Who would be liable for the damages should these turbines cause negative effects to residents, such as lower property values, noise nuisances, environmental and crop damage due to the leaking, collapse, or fire? Are leasers held harmless in the contracts they sign, or are they also liable along with the wind company? Okay, so there's there's multiple components there. So the 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 company is responsible on, on the land that we're on, which would experience the impacts uh, majority. Um, that one we do pay crop damage. So and that can be from anything. It's not like oh just construction. That's for the life of the project. We pay crop damage and we remediate. So so there's that. Um, and then you have items in your ordinance. Yes. Can I ask who determines that? So we, in our lease, uh, have it what, 130 or 140%? For crop damages? Yeah. We pay 140%. So we set that in our lease that we pay 140%. Okay. So, and then Has similarly, what? Has it done that before? Yes. Yes, we have. Construction does impact soil. It, I mean, it's a fact. So we have paid for crop damages. Um, after construction for yield loss, we do recover. What is the adjuster on that? Yeah. Well, so first we can look at, say, the past three to five years of the Chicago Board of Trade, or if you do not like those findings, we can hire someone, us, on our dime, for them to come that you Everything advise. From you. Yeah. No, 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 you, no. Pick, you pick the adjuster. We'll pay that adjuster out of our dime that you pick and then pretty much go with what they say is or see if it's... Is that actually in the contract? Um, I believe yes. there is a line that does say that, that that can be um, adjuster by the landowner, or the landowner can provide their own adjuster. That the decision cannot be made, it can, be, it can go to that extent of, of, the, of us hiring you a private adjuster. So, so that's, that's crop. Um, I'm trying to think of yeah. So, I, I want to defer. <laughs> now it's your turn. I don't know how to ask it. In all of our studies, I've 
dealt with yeah, 70 projects, looked at and met with other people that have uh, worked on projects with, I think, 150,000 turbines. Um, we've found no impact to property value. study over the whole area, but I'd like to see it. But we, it I, I have a question, practice. why would it go down if there's no infrastructure of ours on yeah. it? And this would be an, uh, a revenue, additional revenue because on the land. Because they signed a contract to have it put on their property, and because they were buying the property, they found out that the neighboring property had sold it to you guys. So they lost value in their land. So the monies that, I'm just saying, if, it does, if they can prove, if somebody can come in there, a realtor, and says, sorry, you've lost 15%, you know, market value, who's going to be the one that's going to say, sorry for your loss, here's a check? The straightforward answer is there's not a practice of doing that in, at, at our company. We just, it, we haven't seen that it, it plays out in long-term property value. So if I go to sell my land or my property, and I'm told by multiple realtors, because I have a wind turbine 1,500 foot away from my house, or 1,300 foot away from my house. Because basically, you guys are telling me this thing's gonna happen in the next, by 2026. If I decide to put my house in the market right now, my property's gonna lose value right now until this thing either goes or, or dies. Am I correct? Yep. That can't be determined, that's gonna lose value. That, that what we're saying is the research, I know you have yeah. an anecdote, the research doesn't show that across the board losing value. Yeah. So, so who are you getting your research? <laughs> Lots of hard work. That's a lot of study. You guys are the third party. We are the third party. That they we we contract we with them. We have we there are studies that have been done by Lawrence Berkeley National Lab on this. Um, they show a change in property value for counties above two hundred fifty thousand people in the county. They show negligible in, or or inconclusive results on rural counties. So. We're pulling our studies from there. The short answer is, uh, in addition to the fact that there's not a practice of doing that, we do. There, if you're if you're not participating in in the wind farm, you know, even in just like signing your acreage up, even small acreage, we can talk about what that looks like. There's not a mechanism to give you money. Like there's just not. It has to be a, a participation. I think you've answered that question. The next part of that question is the noise nuisance. So going back to the gentleman that has hearing problems himself with his kid and everything else. If all of a sudden one of these things goes up, and that and my neighbor, if I put it up, my neighbor has a problem with their kids' ears because of this thing. Who's going to be paying them back, or possibly even having to move them to a new, completely new location away from them? So, so first, you what you do is you determine if uh, what we're beholden to is the county ordinance. So what we determine is are we in are we in violation of that, and if so. 
we, we do measurement to look at what the sound level is. Usually if there's a sound level problem, it's because there's a mechanical issue and we want to fix it anyway. So it, in the instance, in, and we've had this, you know, in construction, we have a call line if someone's like, hey, the turbine was just put up and, and it's sounding loud, we would hire someone to come out and measure it and say like, yes, this is not in compliance and, and we have to fix it. So normally it, it just goes to mediating the problem before it becomes a, an impact. But we're, we're accountable to the ordinance. Okay, so I just want to make sure I'm speaking for the farmers here. Is there ever an opportunity that a farmer could be put into a lawsuit over one of these things? For future work? Yes, be sued. Mm -hmm. No, because that, in our contract it goes to us. And unless, so unless you lawsuits, lawsuits work really interesting. They go after everything. Wow. My question for you is, is the farmer 100% removed from the liability if something like this goes down? Yes. 100% removed from that. We have an indemnification clause that protects the landowner and us. The only case in which someone, if, if someone were grossly negligent, like drunkenly drove a, a tractor into a turbine and crashed it, that's different. Then there's a, a liability. So what happens if the GPS goes wiggly and runs into the turbine? Well, that's not, that's, that's an accident. That's I, I'm not. just saying that these are the types of things, all right? A flock of geese hit them and and the thing fails. And Not on the farmer. It's us. It's our property. So we insure it, and it, it, we're liable to make sure it it's starts on fire, burns the crop, burns the neighbor's house, gets into the town. Oh, we, we pay for that. It, that doesn't, it doesn't, fires don't spread that way from turbines, but we, we pay for that. So none of these fires have ever made it from one field to the next field to the next field. I haven't heard of that happening. Oh, go on. Just one clarification real quick. What is in the contract that a farmer has to actually notify you guys? What's actually in the contract for spring? We ask for, you know, for spring, for hunting. I believe it is... Did you hear that? 20. We ask. Yeah. It, we, it's not that we, you know, it's not enforceable in the sense that we're not going to be mad. Like, it, it's yeah. just we ask because our, our, our staff are in the area sometimes, you know, if they're doing maintenance. We want to know. But it doesn't mean you need our permission to hunt. That is yeah. not the case. It is just not having our people in the field to get killed or sprayed. Okay. But what is in the contract? It says That's we ask for notification of spraying. We ask to, to be let know of hunting. How much um, time? Well, I'd have to look at that. I, I, I would well, have to according to the contract, is it 32 hours or 36 oh. hours? Okay, 36 hours. So, but if, going back to his point, if they don't turn those turbines down in that 36, I mean, some yeah. farmers, and yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, guys, some of you guys don't decide to spray till the very morning you're getting ready to roll out. Mm -hmm. So, if those things are going, and they, this, is their, this is their zero moment, they gotta go, or you're basically telling them not to go. No, I'll just call up the operations number that we provide to the county and all the landowners, and they call them up. This is someone on an operation O&M building on site, and they just turn it off in two minutes. In a perfect world, yes. Yeah. I do acknowledge that. I did acknowledge that. I do. Experience unusually high call volume. I will say that <laughs> <laughs> we, we have our on-site O&M building, and then we also have our kind of command room down in Austin, Texas. They have a hundred people looking over all of our wind projects, looking at uh, wind data coming in, so we can turn the turbines off if there's extreme conditions. But yes, there's a line and they answer and say, I mean, if we all called at once, maybe there'll be a little bit of a wait. Are you done, sir? Oh, I've got lots more questions. Okay. I'm going to go to the lady here. Okay. 
Well, I think he just answered that question because I weren't, you know, you make it sound so easy that we'll just flip them off. But I wanted to know where your remote area was, and you just answered it, I think, down in Texas. So, and I was going to ask the gentleman that flies, when you said that you had called, did they turn the turbines off, off so you could go ahead and spray that day? That's exactly. So, I, I was, we were sprayed, we were contracted to be sprayed before a co-op. Uh, it was uh, CPS at that time, now it's Nutrien, but uh, from Carroll, Iowa, we were scheduled, flew out of Mount Pleasant up there to spray on a Sunday. We got there Sunday, we scheduled spray on Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We had 12,000 acres of spray. Right. Of tassel of corn already and seed corn. Um, contacted me because we look, we, we have a mapping program called uh, Flight Plan Online that gives us organic crop, sensitive crop, um, tow new towers FAA has, has found because it, it co coincides with the Iowa B rule for organic for bees, farms, organic farms, sensitive areas because people, some people don't like. Spray planes flying over their house, so right. you can really? actually put that on. <laughs> you can put that on your on the maps too, and wind turbines. Um, and they said contact. You know, we contact bee uh, beehives before we spray right. because we had to do it before eight o'clock and after six. There's so many rules right. that are regulated. Right. But that, that's another question I have for them too about regulations. But um, aviation and spray aviation is regulated heavily by the federal government, the FAA. Um, and yeah, we contacted them Sunday. Monday and Tuesday because we had stuff outside of the wind farm and in the wind farm and we're talking 80 to 90 wind right. turbines and I've had pictures as of right. well. And what happened? Nothing. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> so then that comes back to your, yeah. your question, Tim, on who's going to pay for that because all of a sudden the farmer's crops, I mean it becomes a soup sandwich because right. you can't turn project? them off. Was that an RWE project? The American. Exactly. But so with our WWE, can't say the we, we prefer <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'm just saying, we're, we're held to a standard. More than mid-American, though? I can't, I can't speak. We, we can't appreciate our competitors. But I, I just, I, I get it. It's a trust yeah. thing. I understand. Yeah. I really do. But we do, you know, we talked with our ops folks. We've seen them answer the call line. Um, so I can't account for another company. I mean, basically what it boils down to is you're sharing your property with them and you're no longer the owner of that land. So it's, land like I say, you've got to trust and it's just We have a lease. We yeah. own the but, asset. We yeah. own the wind turbine. The landowner owns all the land. We lease it, but we, we just own the asset. Yeah. So. And therefore, we've got to advise the land. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Go ahead, and then the lady behind. Okay, let's go back to your uh, your favorite manufacturers, WG and Justice. Yeah, they're the kind of gold standard. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've an excerpt from the safety section from a Vestas D82 turbine is 390 feet in height. The manufacturer's recommendation for a safety setback was 1,640 feet. So if that's their recommendation, do you usually use the manufacturer's safety recommendations or do you use yours? I haven't. Let me see what this yeah, he's, he has the bestest manual up, so we can look at that here. But 
I mean, our goal is safety. Frequently, it's usually the sound that puts it out more towards 1600 anyway. So, but I, you know, normally it, it goes, we well, felt. But I guess, yeah. In 390 feet of height, turn that into 650, what's that equate to? I'd like to That's see. That's about a half a mile. I'd like to see the document you're looking at because I, I haven't seen specifications for setbacks on. We see the specs for the turbine that we're looking at right now, but the the setback is not. It's not here. Just to let you know, this is a V one sixty three four point five megawatt um, machine, and the one that you quoted is probably from twenty oh eight twenty ten machine. Probably. But yeah, yeah I, I I'd, I'd like to see the document. See I would so like that. to see. Yeah, it. I don't have the complete yeah. manual either. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I just I. I like to see the source. I want to understand. Maybe so. I'll look into that. Okay. <laughs> You're, well, yeah. Are we done? Greg, there was a question back there that you didn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, then the lady. This one goes to you. Mm -hmm. You're the one who says you can value the land, correct? Are you a certified appraiser? I work for. Are an you MAI. a certified appraiser? I'm the representative of an MAI appraiser. Yes. Okay. But you are not. Guys have a business for this. Yeah. Can you describe yeah. what you meant? What, was, what exactly? You don't know what a business plan is, ma'am? I do. I want to understand. I would what like you a mean. business plan of what you have for this area, so that I can read through it and see what you want to do, how you want to do it, so I can sit there and digest what you want to do. Because we can talk all day. I think you can that. answer questions, but I'd just like to read what your business plan is from start to finish. I can answer that. The business plan will be our application to the county where it lays out our whole project. No, that, that's why development, that is the process. We are developing the process. So once that application goes in front of the county, you can look at it all and address your questions to us and the county as well. You don't have this. No, we do. It's in the work. Because you have to gather data in different stages of development. Do you have a projection for when that will be available? Uh, when we file, which would be at this point, late 2025. And we collect all the data. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The environmental studies go out. Yeah. A bit. Because I mean, it's a lot. I mean, I'm working with the FAA, the DOD, the Air Force, the uh, Iowa DNR. I mean, there's a lot of entities, and if they have to take more time to review something, that can slow up the process for me. It's kind of putting pieces of the puzzle together. Okay. There's a gal in the middle. Thank you. Lady. Uh, just for my understanding, you said you have 120 people who have signed leases. If all of your your numbers are what you want them to be and all of that, and say you don't get anybody else that buys in, those 120 people, you're going forward with that part of the project um, or not? No, because with these type of projects, you have to have 100% connectivity, and those are the collection lines running from turbines back to like a substation. The substation has to be built for the project that has to be adjacent to the 345 KV line that is roughly two miles west of Old and Sweetsburg. Um, so like at this point, we do not have the land for the project, but as the land comes together, then 
and there are portions that we can design a little bit earlier than others while we work to connect those pieces together with the code. So you still need additional buy-in to, to make this project Yeah, possible. we're 58% with land right now for the <coughs> size of a project. How many hours have you laid out in easement payments? Can you, is that public? Yeah, uh, 883,000 we've paid over the last two years. And that's spread over how many acres? 17,577. Okay, I'm gonna grab the gentleman up here and then I'll be back over the next picture. Go ahead. The question I had, I think you talked about power distribution, so I, I guess you don't quite regulate that, somebody else's does, but with all this going up, supposedly, if, if, you know, again, we produce the power that you want to produce. How much that realistically is staying in Iowa versus shipping over to Chicago or somewhere else that let them put their own stupid powers up and keep the hell out of here? Great question. So I, I get this a lot. So with electricity, it's going to flow to the path of least resistance. So like this power in our room right here, where is this coming from? It's not generated in Henry County. It's being brought in from somewhere. Well, with this project, it hits that local substation and it will go distributed locally on the utility lines and then it's a lot of power so you don't obviously Henry County can't take all that power so it's going to be going to where power needs it within that MISO region of Iowa uh, northern Missouri uh, greater part of Illinois Chicago is actually in PJM so that's a different market yeah. it won't go to Chicago but yeah to your question it is it would be taken up here and then sent elsewhere, but we're selling the commodity to whoever wants to buy it. If it's Menard's distribution plant, you know, in Burlington or, or wherever, you know, whoever wants to buy it, if it's Walmart right here, if their distribution center, they can purchase the power from us. Whoever wants to buy our power so, can buy it. So is our, potentially, is our electric bill go down? Or because again, if it's the highest bidder, well then it comes down to this all the time. The difference is we got to see these things for 35 years. We got to hear these things for 35 years. And if they break down, we don't have enough wind. And then, so we're, all this is happening and what are we really getting for it? I mean, that's, that's bottom line. If you're putting 450 million into this, mm -hmm. what are we really getting for so, other than some money to want some farmers? Well, you, your energy bill, I can't tell you that's up to your, your energy, but you're getting 133 million into your county half of it going to schools, who doesn't want to support that? The other half, counties <laughs> and townships, and yes, to landowners, that's 75 million to landowners over 35 years. Yeah, but that didn't mean any disrespect to farms. I was just, just saying, it. I'm looking at the whole county versus just a few select spots, that's all. Thank you. Gentlemen in the back row. You're talking, you've got to have a 1,300 foot setback from house, right? In Henry County, it's two times the tip height currently proposed. So that so we estimated our internal standard is typically around 1500 we um sound bumps that between 15 and 1800 to hit the sound requirement so but but we just reflected what henry counties is well so the map i saw it's got some 10 and 15 acre acreages with a house in the middle of them you sign them up you can't even get close to that well, like you sign them up. Yeah, great. Those those landowners wanted to participate in the project, and we're not going to shy away from people that want to participate. You're going to give money to people that can't do anything with it. No, they want to participate in our project. Some some people some people. Well, okay, there's a couple ways. So number one, I mean, we we talked about some people want to host collection line. 
so maybe they're a connecting piece of land, and so it's a small acreage between large acreages. Um, others support the project. I, I, don't, I mean, it, I can't guess as to what their motive is, but you know, they support the project, and, and that does affect our setbacks, because typically setbacks are, I mean, it's, it's landowner, well, I guess we have to talk with the county about that, but it, a participating landowner um, can have different setbacks than um, a non-participating, depending on the ordinance. So sometimes people sign up and it makes the build area better, generally. So, yeah. I have a question here, gentlemen. Just to clarify, Access Energy Co-op is not part of an RTO. Their power supplier is an they're not part of MISO, SPP, or PPA. We're RWE. So well, I'm just talking, talking about MISO, SPP, and the power suppliers. Access Energy Cooperative's power supplier is not part of an RTO, a regional transmission operator. They are independent, they're power suppliers. Oh. Just want to let you know that. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I, I want to talk about this money you're talking about coming into schools, the county, and whatever, but before I get there, um, I noticed, you know, looking around that the wind energy is pretty well stalled out in Europe, and RWE even took down towers to expand their coal mining. But anyhow, so uh, about this money coming into the county, how much of it is virgin revenue and not just recycled tax dollars that go to the $34.2 trillion national debt? So again, it's a tax credit. I, I, I so it's not, we're not getting a lump sum of, of money. It's a tax credit. So then it, we as an independent power producer, as a, a company, we are injecting that money because you know it, it's our business model to, to produce electricity and then sell it. Okay, call it what you want. You set your own property values, is that true? No, those are assessed. Those are assessed by the county assessor. Okay, that's not what I understood, but you still, I, I don't care if it's subsidies or tax credits, it's taxpayer dollars that add to the national debt. I'm, I'm not sure of that relationship. It's a tax credit. I, I, that's all I know. I, and then, yeah, the, the coal mine that you were stating in, in Germany that was expanded because uh, Germany was getting a lot of their energy from Russia. The Ukraine war happened, so we had to expand that mine to supply more energy to the people of Germany. So RWE really doesn't care about green energy anyhow, do they? No, we support all <laughs> generations of energy. So we do. We, we, we actually do. have very high growth goals mm -hmm. we, we and on the renewable side, and we're putting up our money. I mean, this, this is a big deal. The, the credit even is just, like I said, 30% 10 years. We're putting up big money to produce electricity. That's our history as a company. So yeah, it starts in coal, um, and there's other forms. There's hydro and there's nuclear too. But there's there's a huge interest in renewables right now from a company wide level. Hello, the gentleman in the car behind. I was just curious if you guys knew what a transverse wrinkle was. For foreclosure for everyone in the room, I built windmill blades for ten years. A transverse wrinkle is a weak spot in the blade. The plant I work for are called blade killers. They can cause the blade to fall, snap to the ground. They, we would do our best to make sure they didn't have transverse wrinkles. The blades I made were mainly made out of fiberglass. That's usually where they're at. The blades I built weighed 11 tons. 
I also served on the safety committee for two years and we had meetings about them. They can cause 11 tons coming down. The blades they're wanting to put up, I don't know if they're bigger or they weigh more, but to the response to this uh, person that was asking about if a blade can fall, oh yeah, they can fall. Because when they fell, we stopped production, we would have meetings about it. Because it looked bad on us. Just for foreclosure, but transverse wrinkles, you can look them up. I just want to say for a safety perspective, there has never been a landowner or someone of the community that has ever been killed or hurt by a turbine. There has been with... Yeah. Not a turbine, not by yeah. the blade. Yeah. No, by no. the whole, no. on, a, on a wind farm. Yeah. Like it, so. Out of 74,000 turbines that are up. So, how many are you projected or how many do you want in the county? Yeah, very question. So with, depending on the model of the turbine, yeah. um, it can range. That's why, say, a 5.0, which I'm forecasting a 5.0 to be used at that, that height. How many? How many? Yeah. How many? Okay, so with a 5.0 turbine, you're looking at 60. Six. At a 4.5 turbine, you're looking at 66. A 5.5, you're at 50. Okay, so my next question is, if a blade weighs 11 ton, 10 ton, 9, whatever, and then you put that in motion with the pitch of the turbine, whatever, whatever you do, slow it down, stop it, speed it up, what does that do to the jet stream? Because when you put all of that into motion, things are moving. So my question is, does that screw up the jet stream? From what data that I've seen, it's very negligible because the turbines don't act as a fan where there's no movement of air and we're creating that movement. That air is going through that jet stream no matter what. We're just capturing and turning that generator to turn electricity. There will be turbulence behind that that turbine. But, but it pulls, if, if you've got two mile an hour winds and it calls for it, it's gonna pull what it needs to generate. I right? don't know if there's a pulling. It, the, the wind's the it will suck it in because of the pitch of the blades. Yeah. Like a radiator, car, truck, whatever. It's gonna it's gonna take what it needs to produce. What it's sucking What he's talking about is feathering and unfeathering of the prop. It's, it's the same as a propeller on an airplane. You have a blade angle. Propellers suck air in. If you ever stand in front of an airplane, you will get sucked into the prop. Even if it's been drawing. No, no, no. So it's going to draw enough miles per hour out of wind. Let's say it's two. It's not and drawing the wind. It's, 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 it's not going to draw the wind. Okay. So it's not going to pick up the wind speed. It, there's turbulence after it that changes the waves of the wind, but I, that dissipates through the course of the wind farm. So, but I, I want to look into this, you know, just to, to look at studies. We, we haven't seen a jet stream change in, in our, our experience with wind farms, but I, I haven't looked at studies, so, but we haven't seen it. I'll um, get to Eileen, the, yeah. the lady in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, our, neighbor has signed up have you guys seen every single property that is on the map to be signed up yes our land agents that we have okay so 
where this is and where it's going to be, I mean, how how many acres or how much, you're just saying like 1,300 feet from somebody else's property line? House. house. Yeah, house. house. A house, but not property line. So it's located like one of the highest points in Henry County is this land. Our land, not his. He's down lower and it's all around timber. So can you say, hey, you've got to cut your timber? The other landowners have to cut the timber because of this wind line. So great question. So we're not in the business to cut down trees, but if we do have to put a five foot swath or collection line, we may have to take a little bit of timber down to put that like a uh, collection line in. But we're not gonna. You know, but we don't there. have the choice. It's no, our land. Not, we don't have the choice. If you're not signed, we will not take down your timber. We cannot you cannot go on your property. Yeah, we we do not. You, you, we don't have access to your property if you're not signed. We just don't. Okay. So the road that's going to get to that property will will not let that come down. So how will you do that? Will you take somebody else's property to make it longer? You know, wider to be able to even get to it. We have to look at this that specific property because it, it might be that the woods, you know, cause an environmental conflict too, and we just can't put a turbine there. So but we you have still to look. count his acreage or how much ever that he put into that into your numbers, even though you can't put one there to get up to your thirty thousand. I mean, yeah, because at the when we come to operations, I mean, the money that's set aside it's just a, a pie, and people get a piece of that pie with the acres that they bring into the project and I don't foresee you know we need the 30,000 to kind of make this project all work so I'm hoping to get that that number so are you how much easement goes along with one of those if he doesn't have wide enough I mean what's what's your easement to go around there? to go around like a, a turbine like a yeah road I mean, the road so an access road is yeah 16 to 20 feet um, just depending on the topography. And then that turbine just picks up that 18 um, circumference of land where it sits. So that's all that the easement is. They can't say, okay, you put this one here, close and it might be right on our property line and you have this easement over here that we can't say anything about. The easement has to stay on that person's property. Yeah. We have no rights on your property whatsoever. No, no overhang, no roads, no buried cables. You didn't sign an easement. You cannot be in your property. Plain and simple as that. Yeah, because that's not the way the electric or the water or anything well, we else have, is. We don't have the power of the electric or water. We don't. We do not have those. Well, we can't no. do that. We, according yes. to this ordinance, we cannot. We have to place it to, to, so that even if it changes, we can't be over it. So th this is the ordinance you have in place. So we will ma we'll map that out, you know, and we'll know the distance. The wind's not always out of the northwest during the summertime. I want to get a couple of people. I know, I know. Yes, sir. We, we know that. Yeah. Yes. Yes, sir. I had a, a little bit of a math question. If I can, can I quote from your contract? Am I allowed to read that? Sure, yes, you got it, right. We talked about an option term, seventh year, 35-year contract, two additional five years, why are we talking 32 when it's really, or 35 when it's really 52 potentially? And that's at your option to get the extra two five years, not ours. 
So this could be 52 years if things are tied up potentially. Is that true? That is true because if the turbines, you know, the life cycle is 35 years, but what happens if the turbine's still good, safety checks out, maintenance isn't horrible, then we can push that into that first five years and then extension into another five. But so you can go a total of 52 without our, and once we've signed up, you can take it to 52, 52, or you can leave at any time. We have to re-sign the options for the five extension. It's your discretion. It's our discretion. That'd be a true statement. Yeah, yeah you're adding the seven years yeah. of development yeah. into that. Oh, yeah. that's where you got the 52 to yeah. seven years. Okay, yes, yeah, then those, that. So it's your, your, your discretion. Right. Correct, right. yeah. Okay. You said a question about the uh, money going back to schools. Um, does that go straight to the school, come back like to the state to come to the school? Um, and then is it the people, like the, the properties from the school districts, those are the only school districts that will receive that money? Or how does that money come back to the school? Is it just going to be Winfield Mount Union? Uh, Waco is not isn't going to be part of that, or is it just primarily uh, the two schools in the north of the county? Okay, so um, it is location dependent, so it's not going to be spread across the county. It's anywhere where, when we modeled it, we did it based on signed land. So it is Winfield, uh, Mount Union, it is Waco. Um, that's what we modeled out. I can't remember off the top of my head if Mount Pleasant was in our analysis, okay. but um, it, so it's totally... Our model right now is based on signed land. It'll change definitely by infrastructure. Right. So that's correct. The mechanism for distributing that, I think that it's from the state, but it, it, it's it's a turnaround right to the, it just, but the state doesn't take, it's, it's Iowa statute. It doesn't take the money from the school. It just redistributes it. So it, it's not it's not skimming. They can't, it's just Yeah, statute. I mean, I get it, right? As an educator, I, I've heard right now. I'm just saying, yeah, I, 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 you answer that question, I appreciate that. Can you verify that formula for the supervisor? I believe it goes to the state and then back to the district. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it could go to any school. No, it cannot. It has to go. That that money is earmarked for this county based on the, the winter. It's, it's in statute. It does it based on this wind farm. So it's not going to be spread across the state. It goes right. to this area. Okay. So that, that is in, it's written out. In, in I'm sure it would come back to the township in which the yep. structure is at, which would be based upon their study would be in Winfield School District and the Lake School District. It's yeah. going to come back from the state back to the district in which the turbines are located. Plus the purpose of sending it to the state.
my dear community that would like it to be at a half mile with uh, that four times or whatever what are you as our board of supervisors going how are you going to make that decision are you going to listen to your choice one choice two or what the community constituents want well i would encourage anyone as i did at the public hearing last thursday i don't remember what day it was when i read the ordinance that's in place now i would encourage anyone to email us their thoughts okay because I'm sure Chad and Mark are taking notes here, but we're listening. So I want you to email us at supervisors at henrycountyiowa.us. We will start the process on Thursday of, I'll call it tweaking, amending the ordinance that is in place because that's what the public hearing was about, was for input from the people. and. When those people left, I gave them our email address. Supervisors at henrycounty.us, all lowercase, completely spelled out. So, There's a thought. You could just do a referendum. You have that authority. You could ask for a referendum, an actual open vote, yes or no. <laughs> I have a I have a question about the gals who's gonna wait that a while and then we'll get to you this gals and time. I'm curious how you get all these fifty eight percent of these landowners to buy into this. <coughs> That's a great question. So we have land agents here that know the projects in and out just like I do and they we approach them, and if that's knocking on their door, sending a letter or door hanger, they call us. They want to know how their property would, I guess, affect the project if they join the project. And that's where we sit down with a, a landowner and showing them um, the setback map. And the setback map pulls in the ordinance from the setbacks from the homes, setbacks from the property lines into consideration and it's showing basically where we 100% could not set a turbine at this point but then later down the line you know we have our wind data come in our environmental stuff where that buildable area even though they have a pretty big open on their property of land it can whittle down depending on that build area from other um, environmental studies and wind data that come back now with that knowledge the landowner is also going to look at a compensation estimate that we have that's kind of high level that lays out the financials which in the easement any landowner can take that easement to an attorney have them review have them redline it and we can have our attorneys work with that and get to hopefully an agreement where things are changed and the benefit for both parties and then they end up signing so how do you determine how much money each landowner gets for having one of yeah. these on their property? Great question. So you will get compensated based on the acres you put into the project and also uh, the potential that your land could host infrastructure for the project. So do you have that laid out for them in, a, in their lease that you have presented to them, each Perfect. specific one? They know how much money they would be getting per year? So each one has a compensation of estimate. So it's an estimate based on the acres they're putting into the project, how large the project would be, 300 megawatts. 
and the turbine size that we use are 4.5, 5.0, 5.5. So depending on those, uh, I guess in that scenario, they're presented with a very low case of getting, coming into the project, the project actually coming to fruition and they have no turbine whatsoever. They're gonna see a low scenario based on just the land they put into the project. Then they're gonna see a high scenario if they do get, say, two turbines, three, or whatever their land can coast. So we do present a comp estimate, yes. yes. Okay, I'm gonna go to Eileen, and then I'm gonna go back to the lady, and then I'm going back here, and then I'm over here. <laughs> so I'm just gonna piggyback off what you said. Give us the formula. You have to have numbers. Yeah. I mean, give us the formula that you use when you sit down and talk to us about the compensation on an annual basis. I wanna know the numbers that's in your formula. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So, so okay, between companies, the, the numbers are proprietary. So, and, and for the sake of landowners here, we, we don't, for anyone who's signed, we don't share, we, we're happy to talk with you privately about that, but you know, we wouldn't want this on blast on, on you know, Facebook, we have competitors. So the comp estimate is, is a proprietary piece of info. So you're welcome to ask a signed landowner, um, but, but that, that is proprietary. I don't think anybody would object. Okay, can we talk to Yes. Okay, so my question is, how are you gonna ensure that there isn't gonna be shadow flicker in the neighbor's windows, you know, while they're sitting in the house or whatever? Yeah, great question. So we do pre and post construction shadow flicker analysis when we map where the turbine is at different parts of the day. The um, standard, that the industry holds to is 30 hours of shadow flicker if it's on um, a participating or non-participating resident. Um, but <coughs> that 30 hours a year comes to 99.5% without shadow flicker. So that shadow flicker may be 30 seconds at some time of the year, and then maybe at a higher end, it's maybe four minutes, five minutes. Um, I don't know. How are you doing that? Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so there's, there's two ways. First, it, it's a, a extremely mathematical with understanding the position of the sun, the, the curvature of the earth, and where the turbine is placed in relation to the home. So we know ahead of time, we can predict, based on all this, we know at this time of day, this home is gonna receive this much shadow flicker, so we've gotta move it. So, so that's one. Um, others, you know, in instances where the landowner called us after it was constructed, they said, you know, I'm just not liking the shadow flicker. We just curtail at that time. So we'll, we'll shut the blades down for that time. And you can predict that. You can pre-schedule it and say, you know, 8 a.m., we know the angle is producing shadow flicker, so we curtail for five minutes, and then it's done. So it, it's it's very easy to predict shadow flicker. Okay, Let, let's oh, go sorry. back here. Yes. So old is gonna be saturated with the wind turbines, and Winsbelt Field Mount Union has some, and well, definitely Winfield. So we're talking a whole town with shadow flicker, and anything near it is gonna be coming in. So I wanna know how you're gonna ensure, like, my house might not have shadow flicker, but the guy next to me might. You see what I'm saying? We would just, yeah, I mean, we would look ahead of time to know where all the houses are, and we would um, either place the turbines so that there's not a collective effect on, on off a particular home, or we'd curtail when we knew that we'd, we'd stop the blades. Okay, so in your propaganda here, it says that you took care of this for a lady that 
there's a wind turbine, or she contacted you right away with the shadow flicker business, and you guys took care of us. So did you like move that or? Well, in that case, we curtailed. We, we, we just, you know, it, it was to a level where, uh, and that wind farm was built prior to my um, time here, so I don't know what that was modeled at initially, but that, you know, I know that's Scioto Ridge in Ohio, and, and that, what we did is we just said, okay, we, we know we're going to stop the turbine blades at this time. So we just addressed it. It was just. Yeah, so give us a week. And sure enough, in a week's time, that turbine that was causing the flicker would turn off as soon as the sun was in the problematic position. So even with the winds blowing at a good speed that you want, you're going to go ahead and turn it off so it's not going to generate any electricity. For, yeah, for the time of shadow flicker, yeah. yeah. For the time that it's on that house, yes. Is that in an ordinance or contract or anything? How's that work? Yeah. Is that something we need to push the county to have an ordinance to make sure shadow flicker is not an issue? So it's currently not in the ordinance. Our, our, our internal standard is, is 30 hours a year. Yes. And that doesn't mean every home will experience 30 hours a year. It's just the cap. But it's not in the ordinance currently. Hang on a second. So I, I left you out. You, I told you we'd come back to you. Sorry. You, yes, you. You mentioned decommissioning uh, turbine. When you decommission a turbine and take it out of service, do you take down the tower, take down the foundation and all that? We take down the tower, yes, and then we do uh, take down the uh, foundation. I believe the ordinance is proposed at four feet. Right. Four feet of the foundation. So how deep does the foundation actually go? Twelve feet. 12 feet. So what kind of a crop do you actually expect to grow on top of four feet of topsoil? Well, that's the, that's the ordinance is four feet, but we can take out more than It seems to me if you agree to bring it back to pristine condition, you got to make everything right. You dig out the dirt, you haul it away and fill it with concrete, and you take out four feet and leave four feet of dirt. It's obvious you're not a farmer. Okay, and another question that goes kind of along with that, you have these transmission lines that go underground from one to another to another to where it gets on the grid. How deep are those? Yes, those are four, four feet. Four feet. Four feet down. Yeah. So do you... 30,000 volts on it's 34, 000, 34, 000, 34, 000, 34, 000, 34 volts. Sorry, 34,000 So, yeah, when a site is decommissioned, do you take that, that cable out of the ground? At times, but it's not the not practice to do that. So, in other words, you're not honoring a contract if you say you're going to return it to pristine condition if you leave all that stuff there. So I, I mean, I, I, got, I don't want to argue with you. I, I, we have landowners in other areas who said four feet is adequate. So, you know, I, I, I have heard that. There's other areas where the ordinance was set to five to give that extra foot of clearance. But you know, we've heard from root depth that it's, it's adequate. And then we would pay for yield loss for the lifetime <coughs> of that project. So and who calculates that field loss? You? Well, that, so we talked about that earlier. About yeah, that. we. About we the, yeah, we use. You're going to have to mumble a little bit louder, sir, because I can't. I'm, I'm hard of hearing. I'm wearing hearing aids right now, and I've got them turned up. Sorry, we answered that earlier about the Chicago Board of Trade on the previous three year average. But if the landowner does not like that number, then they can find their own 
prop adjuster that is on our dime to work with to get that number that Okay, I follow that. Yeah, sorry. Most most props anymore, as most of you guys know, your your combines are getting your field yield as you go through those fields, and you see your your highs and your lows. So if you're going across that spot where 35 years from now that power is gone, and you keep seeing that circle out there that's showing that yield drop, it's right there where that tire used to be. You got evidence of of that yield drop on that circle. Now you're you're talking about a circle out there about. 17 20 foot round you're not talking about a very big area where that concrete is there either so but it still generates a yield loss for you exactly that's what I'm, that's what i'm getting at you still have that yield loss so you see that yield and you, you calculate that up the square footage of that of what the yield that the rest well you of the seem to be is. saying it's not very big so it really don't matter you're that's, screwed that is not what i'm saying when you calculate that off your combine yield for that entire field you would contact RWD and say I've got this yield loss in this circle and it's costing me X amount of dollars every time I harvest of the actual yield of the rest of the field you're going to average that of course and then they're going to pay off of that and then if there's a discrepancy in that what Matthew's saying is they would pay a third party to come in and help them evaluate that to come up with that conclusion of what that yield loss actually is if there was a disagreement. But if you have proof with your combine, when them things are pretty accurate as they go through those fields, I've watched them before and I've used them on pipeline yield losses when, when we adjust and pay out. So that's pretty accurate and that can be used in that way. So most of this time it's settled without any any problem. But if there is a case where it becomes a problem, we have a, a third party come in and help us with that. We would pay them, you would choose them. It's not like we're trying to be dishonest or or deceptive in that process. That process is So you sell this electricity to who, the highest bidder, you said. Whoever's bidding in the area, that's who you sell it to? Whoever wants to buy your energy, yeah. Whoever wants to buy the electricity, yes. So yeah. we, we sell, and, and yeah, I mean, we, we go with a good power purchase option, and that's for the commodity of electricity. So, it, yeah, I mean, there's other factors about working with a purchaser, they, you know, if they stipulate certain things, but, but we want a good power purchase agreement price, yes. Okay, so uh, whoever we buy from in Henry County, they say, okay, we're willing to pay this. Oh, but we're only charging our customers this. So how much are we going to have to raise our customers to afford to buy your electricity that we're producing locally? We should get it free. <laughs> You're producing it for us. That's not the case. It happens, right? Usually it goes up, well, not down. Not, utilities don't always buy the electricity. So so it's not all. It could be, you know, Menard. It could be um, Facebook. Like, it's not always utility, uh, regulated utility that buys the commodity. Um, it's just going on to the grid. And they can't rate base that unless they own the asset. So if they own the wind farm, they can say, oh, hey, IUB, we have to raise our rates to pay back this wind farm infrastructure. But if they buy the commodity, I don't know if there's an equation in place for them to, to rate base that. So, but, but we're talking about the commodity of electricity, not the full wind farm. And that it might not be Midam that buys it, it might not be access, it might, you know, or I guess they're not on the grid. But, but there's no guarantee that our 
utility prices will go down by having this. <laughs> That's correct. No, we cannot. So, it's a regulated market that we do not affect. So there is a guarantee that Walmart. Facebook, Amazon will get their carbon credits. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Companies that buy the commodity do get. Uh, so they're running the show for this, basically. It's not just yeah. It's not just them. I, I was just giving an example of it's not always a utility, but yes, renewable energy credits are a thing. And you had a question. Yeah. Um, one of my things to say to everybody is you going to really have to do your own research on this. A good place to start, I think for me, my opinion, was uh, there's a, a case from 2007, it was Brown County Human Services, it was a special event with Duke Energy, and it was a Shirley Wynn project, very well documented case, and there's people that, it's uh, between the County Board of Health and the supervisors is an open panel <laughs> discussion. It's a long thing to listen to. It's three hours and 40 minutes, but it kind of gives you the basis of what this should look like, what our discussion should look like. It gives the viewpoint of it's an MIT study, study also with different people who take sound readings and such. And I think it's, it's, it's like a long listen, it is, but I think it's well worth it to, that's a basis to start on. Something else I heard is that, um, talking about the viability of a wind project. If you go to the Department of Energy, Federal Department of Energy, they have a chart there. And on that chart, this area of Southeast Iowa, where we are, is just a notch above zero meaning that zero means that it's not viable for a wind project, and we're just a notch above that. <laughs> so, and that's the Department of Energy. Um, I did have a question, because you were, you're that sound expert. <laughs> I think, at least my, one of my big problems here is I want to thank you, because RWE, your company, when you sent the letter to me, that's the first I ever knew anything was going on. It should have been, shouldn't have been that way. Um, but I did want to ask about during the uh, the Duke Energy uh, panel thing. The consensus, I mean, different people had different, but the consensus was that these. Uh, turbines should be spaced dependent upon the noise. So in the noise level, like somebody has said, the WHO, w, <laughs> WHO, uh, is it? WHO, yeah. I was thinking the, the radio station all of a sudden. Um, is 45 for data. Yeah, it's decibels. It doesn't take into account infrasound, and there's people that are very upset with that because the turbines were added on to their noise pollution type list. So I think part of the problem is, is that in the beginning, you know, the idea of wind energy, you know, can we do this effectively and at a, a low cost has been really underlined by bad ordinances. 
putting the turbines too close to people. They're upset. <laughs> I'm kind of upset about that it's, it's way down the process before you, you really, and then it takes research, my goodness. You know, how much time it takes to try to research this stuff. And there is plenty of research. You can go to windwatch.org. It has a lot of research. It has a lot about county ordinances across the state. You can also follow up. There's a Senate, what do they call it when it's not? It's, uh, no noise .com or org also is the Environmental Pollution Clearinghouse. If you want to look up ordinances, they've collected uh, 500 ordinance, uh, ordinances from the uh, 500 largest uh, cities in the U.S., which is a lot of cities, obviously. I encourage windwatch.org because they also have videos there that you can listen to testimonies of people which is very impactful. Um, but it's like our ordinance right now, what I read was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I have 100 acres. It's a century farm. I enjoy the whole 100 acres. But right now it's set up that as long as I'm in my house, or I think 25 feet outside my house, I should be protected. And that's not right. And that's what I'm saying is that the ordinance have to be in mind. I mean, you're new coming into the community. Some of us have been around for a long time. I was, I'm approaching that retirement time, had all these plans and stuff. And, you know, these years now that have been going on and like it's gonna be another year or whatever, my plans are on hold. Because, I mean, there is evidence out there that the property values aren't going to hold. The money that I put in the houses is not going to hold. And so with you, with, do you think that, and the ambient out here in the country at night, I mean, there's a consensus. I don't have, you know, all the everything, but listening to a lot of different things, reading a lot of different things is around 25, DB, is it DB or, okay. It's probably in that range of 30. So, our ordinance now, as it reads, is 60. Well, well above that. So what do you think? I mean, if you want a good relationship with the community yeah. and stuff, do you think 60 decibels is okay? We agree, and we, which is why we have an internal design standard that's lower than 60. Um, but, uh, but of course, if you know, I, I want to be careful with my words, of course, because I can't. I am not a legislator, and I can't, you know, choose the limits that are selected in the ordinance. Um, but, but we understand, of course. Uh, I, and I don't work for RWE either. I, I work for RSG. So we're um, we just do uh, sound studies for all kinds of projects, a lot of renewable energy projects um, and other projects, and we deal with ordinances, lots and lots of ordinances. Uh, but we also deal with people, and I mean, the idea here is we're trying to uh, make a project that's gonna be a good, you know, a good neighbor with the people. And so from our experience, having worked on so many of these projects and so many ordinances, uh, we, we have a much better idea of what, um, you know, the sound levels are that, you know, result in in less uh, complaints and, and whatnot. And the idea is to, to try to be a good neighbor as well. Because I mean, uh, um, RWE, 
again, I'm, I don't work for RWE, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but um, they, you know, they, they both um, construct the project and they do run these projects as well. So they're, they tend to have these continued relationships um, with the projects, yeah. um, which uh, really puts this idea of, um, you know, they really want to be a good neighbor because um, I don't know if you should speak to this and say, yeah, yeah, since, <laughs> since, since we are here for the project life, we do, we want to be a good neighbor. I, like she just, she did say it, but I, yeah, we, 60s high, I, I'm not, you know, I, internally, um, I think 50 is more reasonable. Um, what, what we see is, is that, you know, it, what happens when we place them is the homes are not actually receiving 50, but it's just, it's the cap in, in worst case scenario, like Dana said, you know, with a certain wind speed or certain shear, I, I don't know how you measure it, but we're assuming ideal conditions to create 50, that it's gonna be at that, and then we construct to that, but usually the readings at the home are, are less than that, and that's, we just designed the worst case to, to be conservative. So we're, we're designing to this internal standard, uh, which assumes uh, very conservative assumptions. Uh, we put in uh, basically a 2 dB uncertainty factor, so we're um, raising the sound levels um, above what the model levels would be. Um, in addition, we're assuming that it's downwind in all locations. So um, it's a worst case wind condition where the wind is coming from the turbine to the home, um, which of course doesn't happen you know, every single day all the time. Um, and we're assuming that they're operating at their maximum sound power level, um, which happens around, usually around nine meters per second, so about 20 miles per hour. Um, sometimes a little lower, depending on which turbine uh, model it is. Um, so what we do is we predict the level, we calculate it using, um, you know, a modeling software, and uh, we, um, we ensure that the levels at all of the property or the homes are below our threshold. And then, um, you know, in real life, of course, it's, it's not happening all the time, even at that level. So that's the maximum that you would ever, you know, see. Uh, does that answer your question? It answers my question of how you're approaching yeah. it. It's not that, it's not what I would like to see, but by doing that, mm -hmm. by putting the health and the safety of the person that's already owned the land and already enjoys the land at stake, I mean, it's a gamble. I mean, you're asking us to gamble. This is gonna affect some people, maybe more than it affects other people, but you just don't know. You just don't know. And it's what it's doing is it's, it's driving a wedge between communities these kind of things happen and unfortunately because I would have never thought that I would say this but I think that maybe the answer is taking it to a state level because just for the fact that at the state level it's proposed that the setbacks are over 5,000 feet now at over 5,000 feet it kind of diminishes all the shadow flicker issues all the ice throwing issues all the noise issues, the infra and the audible sound, that you, that shouldn't be much of an issue. It, you might still hear, but it's not gonna be a health issue. And I think that that should be the priority to take into effect with the, our health, our safety, and we've spent many years, in my case, many generations, of building up that farm equity 
and and that should not be compromised because some new whatever whether it's a wind project or whatever it is needs to take to be sensitive to those things to me and that's in the Iowa Constitution so that's
I want to acknowledge that and sit with what you're saying because I, I don't know if we're going to have a response here that is going to be satisfactory. But well, and I want to back that up a minute because I think what you're speaking to is payment. I'm asking what are you doing to protect the property value because that I believe is what as an ordinance and I could be wrong, but that's what I'm responding to. So, I mean, what what would protect the property value in your mind? Because. So, yeah, so but by the way that we develop wind farms, you know, if we keep our internal standards to for sound, shadow flicker, and um, just, you know, our safety standards as well, and also, um, you know, like we mentioned, we're not on non-signed landowner property. If we keep those internal standards, roads is a big, road improvements are a big part of that as well. That's how you know we're a good neighbor, and we mitigate against the impacts of the wind farm. But I understand if you're if you're saying that that's not enough, and then you know we'd love to talk about what it looks like to mitigate against property value change. But typically, if we you know with our history of wind farms, if we design to a certain standard of sound, <coughs> shadow flicker, you know, etc., um, and and mitigation of habitat change, among a lot of other things, that that's how we internally. Uh, you know, protect that, but you know, want to hear you on other ways. Okay. So what I hear is what you're doing for the building of the wind farm, but again, it's not protecting my property value. You're compensating people for the use of their land, but again, it's not necessarily protecting the property value. So that if I want to sell my property, if I want to do whatever I want to do with my property, what tells me that it, it holds or gains the value other than what's happening in the marketplace. What, what are you doing? If they do their job correctly, based on years of this research, just pouring over sales, there's gonna be no difference. You're not gonna see any difference in the value of your property. Because of the wind turbine. That affects my property value because if I go to sell, there aren't that many people interested in it. That's what I'm Well, then I would sell to someone else. If you look at the numbers. That person wasn't interested, so it's. That's your last money. I'm just saying, I think you're giving us an unanswerable in the sense that we provide at our design standards. If you have, that's why I want to sit with this question. If you have feedback on how to mitigate against that, we're all ears. Larger setback. Yeah. Two people back over here, the gentleman and the lady. So, whoever wants to go first, you two. This goes to the supervisors. The ordinance plan that you guys are now voting on or changing our ordinance, who proposed this ordinance plan? The ordinance has been in place for. Right, but who imposed the changes on it? Who came to you as a supervisor and says, hey, we want to change all these ordinances? I think 
I would address, have Joe address that situation. Joe is right in front of you. It's, it, it started with the request that we beef up the, the bonding process, make that stronger, make it more protective. And we, you know, we, we took that to the planning and zoning commission. We had a plan, we had a public hearing. We took into account um, public comments. We worked those in through that hearing. So it was originally started from a request from the supervisors to change the that process. Wasn't discussed. It wasn't discussed. Number one. Number two. Did anybody in this county go to the to, to our planning zoning and say, "Can you make these twenty-five foot close to the ground?" No. It came from RWE. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a public meeting. They can participate okay. in the public yeah. meeting. We, right. we but they're not citizens and they don't know them. They are not your constituents. Can anybody come in from outside Henry County and ask for an ordinance change? That's up to the supervisor. Well, obviously that's what happened. I mean, it's, it's a public hearing is open to the public. I, I can't say you're from you're from you know Jefferson County. You can't come here. And it's up to the planning and zoning commission to listen to those things. And don't you adjust your notifications to people like through Facebook? I mean, he had adjust with the society today. I mean, Facebook or whatever else is out there besides just the newspaper that no one gets anymore. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, if I want to get a divorce or something, I throw up the newspaper in Tennessee and say, hey, if she finds it, then she finds it. She knows <laughs> Recommendations. They, they take the public comment, um, and they decide what what should go in, what should not go in. Um, then it goes to the supervisors again. Another public hearing. They can further change it. Um, that's the process. Eventually, they get to a final product, and that's what you know. That that's what they'll pass or not pass in the end. And we found out about it from the paper too. Just so you, I mean, we we saw the Southwest Iowa newspaper that the ordinance was being looked at. So that's how we found out. We, it's, you know, and then we wanted to give our input in public hearing, which we did, but, but we found out that way. It wasn't like we knew ahead of time. My next question, since I stood here for a long time and everybody else seems to do this, I talked to you and I asked you if you have a business plan. And you said, no, we don't, we're developing. But yet you say you did this in how many other places in this the state? How many wind farms do you have? How many? No, no, no. Answer my question. As a company, how many wind farms do you have in this state? We're developing three. How, so you don't. You and have we have enough? three active. We have three, yes. Okay, so to get those, you had to have a business plan. We acquired a company that okay, already so built that project, yes. They're all of them you bought outside. We bought those three active, those three. and then okay, we are developing three RWE. How many do we own? Yeah, how many did you develop? Uh, how many 32. did you start from the beginning and develop? 32. Okay, so you had to have business plans for those, correct? They developed Did you have business plans for those? That is the question. Yes or no? They're answering the question. But we, we develop it as we get into okay, it from the so studies. Okay, so you have business plans for those. So you're telling me you took this business plan and said, oh, it worked here. But we're going to ignore everything off of this, and we're going to start all over over here. No, there's lessons okay. learned. Okay, so you do have business plans out there. 
from past projects. Okay, good. Learned. I'd like to see all of them. All of them. Every one of them. I want to read this information that you guys have gathered from everywhere else to be able to build these farms. If you guys really want this and you truly believe in this, and this is where you want to be, and you think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, all of this information, you guys should be giving it to us and handing it to us. And this is what we did here. This is the numbers that we've used. And this is where we get this information. Because you, you guys are, are trying to sell this to us, are you not? Are you not trying to sell this to us? All right, I'll do you one better than that. So I, I will provide that. Okay. But I'll invite you, along with anyone else, signed, not signed, whoever you want, I'll take you to a wind farm that we own, operate, built. And then for yourself, you can, I'll let you in the base of the turbine. I'm not gonna let you up top, because that's safety, but I'll let you in the bottom. You can talk to the uh, community. We can try to get some landowners to come out to talk to you. We, you can talk to the operation folks. You can look at all of our internal workings in the operations and maintenance building. I'll take you there, no problem. I'll schedule a bus like I did in 22 and brought 25 landowners over there and they got free reign, whatever they wanted to ask, wherever, you know, I drove them down the access road, get out wherever you want, see if the, you know, the crops are growing right next to the access road, ask whatever you want. So we can definitely set that up. I'm looking forward to that. And I want anyone that would like to join to join. And then my last question is we talk about houses and we talk about humans and we talk about noise pollution for them. What about the livestock? What about the wildlife? How does it affect the hog buddings that's there? How does it affect the cattle farms that's there? How does it affect the deer that are running down there? Have this all been looked at? Because there is a lot of research and a lot of these guys, and I don't have any of that. I do not have those. But I do follow farm magazines, I do read it, and there's been a lot of work on being more humane to your animals and more to be better productive in it. And if anybody wants to contradict me on this, please do. Okay, so they work really hard to be humane to their animals, to produce a better product. What's the noise effect them on? So I've actually attempted to research this issue okay. because it comes Good. up a lot at hearings and there is very little actual research. There are some standards in Europe that have been developed for livestock, but they appear to be based essentially on anecdotal numbers. It's not, they're not based on actual research. Um, the only study I was able to find um, essentially looked at uh, what different types of sounds horses liked better and found that I guess horses, uh, racehorses perform better when they listen to classical music. Um, good to know, I guess. Um, but, um, but yeah, there's really not a lot of actual research out there on livestock. Anecdotally, of course, I've been to wind farms, and you know the you know you see uh, you know cows and horses near the, the turbines, and they don't seem to be bothered. But I mean, but I, that's you know obviously I'm not a veterinarian or. Um, or anything that's just anecdotal, but I, I, I made a, a that this is a definitely a lack of in the, the data. Yeah, and we just I'll just say too we we own a wind farm now. We we acquired this wind farm in in Nebraska that has a lot of cattle around it, and we heard that there was no impact there. So it's anecdotal. I I have done searches too to try to find studies, um, but 
you know, in that case, the cattle would sleep in the shadow of the turbine and they, they just, they, they seemed unfazed. I'm sure the construction, you know, is stressful on, on animals, but, um, you know, what we heard from the cat, the ranchers out there is there's no impact. So that's the anecdotes anyway. Um, I'm interested in wind turbines or farms that you've had in the past, doesn't have to be in Iowa. How does this community respond 10 years down the road? Are they saying, gee, we are sure, sure glad we put in wind turbines. What is their reaction 10 years down the road? How are they feeling about the whole project then? What do communities say after it's here for a while? So what, what our operations team has, has told us is obviously they get the highest call volume during construction and directly after as we you know work to put the land back in order and then they say there's there's relative peace after the the turbines are up so I'm reflecting what I hear from operations folks who typically live in the community um, but I mean that's what I can speak to is that you know you get we do know by call volume what the the worst times are it is construction of course. Um, but but after that things quiet down. I, so I can speak to that, but I, I don't. I mean I don't have data. I just know anecdotally again. Okay, I'm not sure who's had their hand up the longest. All right, go ahead, one of you ladies. Um, my question concerns the decommissioning of these things. Power too, so we were so well liked that the community wanted yeah. to repower again. So we have not decommissioned a wind farm to date. So, but there's there's salvage value in the steel. So we the plan is, and so again we haven't decommissioned ourselves. So I and I am familiar with a few instances where wind farms were decommissioned or when they repowered they took down some. There's one by Mason City that that next era. Developed. I don't know if they own it still at decommission, so you can look to see how that experience was. But um, we, the plan is to, to capture the salvage value of the steel, copper, aluminum, etc., and then um, the and then develop a, a waste plan for the blades. And there is, you know, there's a, the industry is responding to that concern about the blades right now. Um, the majority of them have been landfilled, um, and so we would have a haul plan of. Of where we take those to landfill them, um, we have experience have experience on one of our, our wind farms in Texas of grinding up the blades and using them in um, concrete composite. So we have done that as well. Um, but but this would have to be in our, our decommissioning plan that we would submit. Of uh, I mean, I guess I'm not sure how how it actually like which exact landfill like. So I, I don't know that level of detail. But there's a high degree of salvage value. In the wind turbine. And I just and want to say, for like turbine itself, the the steel, everything, you know, recyclable. But the blades, eighty percent of it is recyclable. So you're talking a that. very <laughs> small amount that is not recyclable at I, this I point. Seen, but over the course of oh, years, I mean, only in the last five years, there's been a lot of innovation and ways to use those products and, yeah, and try to find different ways. Like Julie said, grinding up and putting it into cement composite. But you can also 
grind that up and I, I looked it up where it's used on several farms as landfill cover itself. So they're not using soil for landfill cover. So I'm sure over the next decade to three decades, there will be more innovation, just like anything that innovates over time. So thank you for your question. Okay, I lean and then the lady in front and then the lady over here and then you said ladies first. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my question is going to come to the guy that talked about the sales. And I guess, you know, you rumbled through a lot of, you know, you said, yeah, we did lots of studies and this and this and this, but peel back the onion a little bit and tell me what you really did because, I mean, okay. did you talk, did you... Did you go back and actually research those people? Did you talk to past realtors? Did you talk to so, appraisers? Yeah. I mean, so it, speaking, so I'll go to we talked to the professionals. We talked to realtors, brokers, uh, uh, auctioneers okay. in the areas, and then we would go to the, the assessors. We go to any assessor that has a, a tur turbine in the county. All assessors say there's not been one uh, tax deduction based on a turbine. Tax deduction. Yeah. Tax We're talking about appraiser. Yeah. I know, but the assessor has set the, the value. Did you, talk, did you talk any of the property owners? Because just like Tim had that example, real life example. I guess I think it's almost. It's, if we can, we try, we try to. Uh, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable your statement as far as that not affecting someone's home and property value. I mean, it's just... Mm -hmm. Like, we see no negative impact. So, yeah. But then we take comparisons from right next to the project to miles away that are similar homes, sold, similar times, similar prices, everything similar except for distance to projects and no difference. If anybody in here believes that, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> His paycheck gets comes from RWE. I mean, Ma do, do you get paid from RWE? No, I, I work What's for that? RSG, Resource yeah. Systems Group. Okay, you're not getting paid to be here tonight? I mean, I, I work for the, you know, I... I have uh, a contact for this project, just like you know anybody else who's working for a client. <laughs> like that's. Right. I mean, that's we, based we, on many yeah. statements. Right? And, like we have data that we can show. And yeah. I just don't have it in my hand right now. I yeah yeah we 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 need to get professionals out here. It it is, you know. So we have contracts with them. Yes, but these are professionals in their field. So I I understand the the comment, but. Know, how else would we have a, a sound expert or a, a real estate he's looking at the data you know so I mean obviously you know we're just like all of you you talk about 60 decimals well most everybody in here is going home to a family farm or a farm that has about two coyotes howling out there well, how many decimals is that you four don't know it because you guys never heard it, probably. Well, I, I was also up in, in the country, actually. Okay. I hear coyotes. I'm a hunter. But, um, I but yeah, but, but, but of course, we don't set. I mean, we don't set the ordinance limits. I mean, that's not our. Um, you know, and we. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's not our. Um, 
Well, as far as the property values go, if I can speak out of turn, nobody in here would buy a property to live next to a wind turbine. If that's what I'm hearing, yeah. right? Almost nobody in here yeah. would. Who would? Nope. So that yeah. makes the property value go down. If you have people that won't buy that property, you just say, well, then the next guy will buy it. Well, yeah, for less money. <laughs> that's property value going down. Someone really likes the vinyl house, someone really likes the brick house, but they don't sweat. But it, it, that's the simplest comparison. You can change your house. Question is that then Okay. We've been talking about when how are you going if you have when buying all the property around it is just sitting right in the middle. Nobody else has a contract, okay? How are you gonna get it out of there? So we have to have a connection to that turbine from one of the four sides of that property. It has to be signed. So we won't build if it's an isolated land yeah. to begin with. You, you can't. So it, it has to be connected. Connected to? To other road. signed land. Yeah. So you, you cannot. A uh, collection line that, go, that uh, the generator produces electricity, a collection line comes on the tower and then underground has to get back to a substation. With these collection line distances, you can go up to eight miles from that substation to the furthest tower. Okay, but, so just from that property? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What if all around that property is not? Then we can't access it. Yeah. We can't build on it. Okay. Yeah. Then the other thing is like, okay, 10 years from now, somebody comes and says, I'm going to buy you, your company. I'm going to buy you out. Like you said, you, you bought yourself. Sold. What if that's from another country? Because you're from Germany, or your company's background is Germany. What if another country? Can the ones that have these contracts get out of that if they do not like where you're going to sell it to? Avoid the lease? No, yeah. the, the lease phase, like the, the company that takes over the assets, they're bound to that lease. And they can't change anything. So, so if China says we're going to, and you sell it to China, then China's going to own a lot of our property. They, they don't do own one. It's a lease, and then two. Right. I mean, in that easement. situation, or sorry, right. easement or yeah. lease. Because yeah. in Iowa, it can be both. But um, in that situation, sure, it can be China, it can be Brazil, it can be Mexico. I mean, it could be whoever you want. <laughs> But it's, the, it's an unlikely scenario. I respect the question, but it's unlikely. We're a really big company, so we, we, we want to own it. We all know. We don't have any. Mr. English, you can wait This goes back to the, the shadow flicker. You say you're going to be able to turn these things off. My question is when that blade stops, my neighbor's house gets shaded. My house has got full sun. I'm happy because I have the sun. My neighbor wants the sun. Who gets to decide who gets the sun? <laughs> <laughs> so that shadow flicker only lasts, like I was saying, could be 30 seconds, could be maybe five minutes of that day. So we stop the turbine curtailment that's stopping the turbine for those five minutes, and then they start again. So you say you want it to stop. It's, it's like, well, imagine you know how the, the sun goes, obviously, bigger, and your turbine's here. So when you're seeing the shadow, um, when it, it, it's, you know, the sun is at a certain, uh, you know, 
uh, angle between the house and the turbine. So it's it's typically just at like sunrise or sunset, depending on where the yeah, homes are. For a lot of hours yeah. too. It is not, but it, it's only it lasts not a lot of hours. It, it, when we design it, it is designed to be five minute, five to seven, typically five minutes a day at most. So I, there's there's not an answer for your question. There's it's a sliver of a shadow that will stop, then for five minutes, then someone. I don't, I don't even know how big that shadow impacts anything. Well, that's my next question. So at four o'clock in the afternoon, how far is that shadow gonna be able to go? We can do that model. It's 3,800 feet. Yeah. It's 3,800 feet. So when we're talking about ordinances here, that shadow flicker is, is gonna go almost 4,000 feet. I mean, there's different times of the year. Is it cloudy? Is there any shadow? We're talking about trespassing, shadow trespassing. <laughs> I'm not joking here. This is an Iowa law. So when we're talking about ordinances here, almost 4,000 feet, I, I want, we better be keeping that in mind. And there are, so being from an aviation background, there is a meteorology goal. I have to have a meteorology The shadow doesn't last more than five minutes. Trust me, when you're flying into the sun and flying away from the sun, you okay. know how long the shadows last. <laughs> I flew in it all morning this morning. <laughs> so. Okay, I, I absolutely reject your argument that property values are not affected at all. 21 years ago, we built our dream home. Uh, a neighbor to the west signed up for a turbine. I retired yesterday. I'm not looking forward to a shadow, a flicker, or unsightliness of a turbine west of me. Amen. Amen. Just a statement. Thank you. Now you, sir. Uh, I don't know how to ask this question, but could you address the blinking red lights? Yeah. So that is required by the FAA to light up any tower or structure over 200 feet. Um, that's why the my towers are at 198. Um, now there is a system called ADLS, and that is a system where you have it on one or two towers, and it lets it shoots out to the. I guess in aviation they already have this system on the planes already, and it lets the wind farm know any aircraft that comes within 30 nautical miles, then they start blinking. When it's not 30 nautical miles, then it can go off with no lights. So that will cut down on the occurrence of the red lights. That's, uh, that's uh, I have a question, what is ADLS? Uh, it's automatic, we know it, aircraft detection lighting system. Yeah. Okay, that's not for towers, that's for aircraft flashing strobe lights, movement in aircraft at night in tower to tech controlled airspace. This is class Echo airspace we're in right now. Burlington's class Golf. Cedar Rapids will be class Charlie. Bravo will be Chicago, St. Louis area, and then Alpha would be 18,000 feet above. I disagree with that statement about the detection system. It's based on radar. I've done, because we have meetings up at Anchor, because that's what FISDO is. The reliability of radar for the detection, 
for the aircraft with ADS-B, which is aircraft, uh, aircraft surveillance, the detection surveillance broadcast. Some aircraft are not established with ADS-B. Perfect example, my 172 that I ran out for the local community and Southeast Iowa for that matter, for all Burlington, Fort Madison, PFW Airport, and Fairfield, different counties. If they have these detectors on, they have to be light, lighted from the, uh, what's the uh, statement in the FARs? From civil even evening daylight uh, dusk to civil evening twilight, or when light the sun comes above the horizon, you can see. There's nothing in there saying that they can go off and come on, especially at 600 feet above the ground. You do, you go to New London. There's a tower there with a red blinking light on it all night long. There's no thing. There's nothing established with the Federal Aviation Administration that registers that. I'm I'm here to tell you that right now. Being in aviation for over 30 years, there's nothing like that. Like that. We we actually have the system approved from the FAA to professionals, and they will only give us that put onto our towers to make that available if the health, safety, and wellness checked out. They wouldn't provide the FAA a permit to us if that was a problem. We did, so we did have an ag pilot talk to us after the last, uh, after the county meeting, and, um, and, you know, he expressed concern that it would shut off for the major airliners, but not ag pilots and, and that class of, of aviation. Mm -hmm. So I want to look into that. I do. So I, the, there's a difference there. I have seen wind farms with ADLS. So in, in Illinois, I've driven by, they're dark at night. So I've seen that happen. I, I, you know, I need to look into how effective they are, but I feel, I mean, the fact is a, a lot of counties are demanding this system right now. And, and a lot of counties in Illinois are, are saying we do not want the blinking red lights, so you've got to have ADLS. So they're demanding this, you know, with input from FAA. So I I can just reflect what's being asked for. I yeah, because FAA, you have the FAA, the federal part, and you have the FAA Bethesda, which is like them, just not for each state. <laughs> Illinois has two. They have one in Chicago and they have one in Springfield. Iowa has one in Anthony. The ADLS is not for perfect example is I go out to Denver, I fly from Denver, I used to fly from Denver to Garden City, Kansas. Planes are not flying over there half the time. You can see those red blinking lights. I was at 11,000 feet AGL, or I'm sorry, MSL. Denver's 5,200 foot, was right at a mile. Denver International's 5,400 foot. So I'm only 4,600 foot AGL. I'm 120 miles away from these things. I can see those systems in not not working. They're blinking all the time. The system that you're talking about, I I would like to know which FISDO you talked about talk to. Can we follow up with you? Because you, you brought up yeah. a lot of good points and yeah. we need to follow up. So yeah. yeah that's fine. Thank you. Yeah, uh, so is the system you're talking about is is that in your lease agreement that that will be on this project? So that's not in the lease agreements, but if the county has that in their ordinance, we have to follow that ordinance. And we would do so. And that system roughly would yeah, be uh, half a million dollars, but it would be worth it. Yeah, we have, the industry seems to be shifting that way. I, I, I mean, I'm hearing aviation concerns, but the industry seems, seems to be heading the way where um, counties more and more are asking for that. More questions, Chris? Yeah, I got a couple. One is, of all the people that's already signed the lease agreements, how many of them have houses that's going to be near these uh, windmills? Uh, 
I would have to look at a map and get that analysis to you, to be honest. Yeah. The second question is, what's the process now for supervisors? So we've had this meeting, we have another meeting next Thursday, which is two district basketball games. <laughs> None of these people will be there. But uh, then what? Then what's next? Go ahead, Mark. Okay. We will have uh, three readings of, our, of the ordinance at each time. We can change the ordinance, tweak it, however. Actually, the first two times, I believe, we can change it. So that's why we're here having these meetings, too, for input. Because we didn't get that input at our other meeting, truthfully. So we can uh, go ahead and pass an ordinance that we have changed. But then there is also, we can always come back and rechange it again. So it's not, it's not a completely done deal. Yeah. When is that first reading of that? Our, our next, next one will be this Thursday. You're going to read it at, at, well, at well, it's not going to be read. We will, we as the supervisors will be discussing changes at that time. If we so desire to change. But the, so you have a reading, it's like an ordinance change, right? We've yeah. already had the reading. We've already had the reading. We've already had the reading. So you've had one reading. And you no, we, we had a public hearing for though. the reading. Okay. Now we're going to have the reading of the, where we changed the ordinance. Okay, and then there will be another reading? There will be two other readings. Total of three. So next week. And then either, either an A or an A. And we'll get the third reading. But if it's necessary, we could go in and republish and then amend it again should we choose to do so. Okay, um, I just, that's one reason I said three or four times now, we want input. We've had people from the last meeting where we had the reading of the ordinance. Email us, send us letters. You have, you're our citizens, you're our constituents. We want and need your input this. Greg? The final decision is yes, ours as to how the ordinance reads. Are you talking about reading, when you say you already had a reading, you were talking about the one at the courthouse? That Correct. Correct. But you said that wasn't the official reading. It wasn't because you're actually supposed to do the read, but everybody was there. So I'm going, I might as well read. But, but you said it wasn't official. It was a public hearing reading. It was a public hearing Right. I'm, I'm sorry, and we asked for input from the people. But you, but you said it wasn't. To clear it up, the three readings, they're not. It, it, it's, it's old language from, you know, 100 years ago. They didn't have copy machines, and everybody sat and read the thing out loud to everybody could hear it because you couldn't make 100 copies. Mm -hmm. And we still use that language. But, but when you mean official reading, that means you only get to read it three times and then you can't do it anymore, three, changes? There's, there's three meetings. <laughs> and on that, thir on that third meeting, they either pass it or, okay. or don't Okay, so pass that it. one at the courthouse was not considered the first. That was the, the public first. hearing. That was the public hearing. Okay, but it's not considered the first. Not, not considered no. the first reading. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I, I probably missed it. So is that ordinance on the web somewhere? Can we pull it? It is. Yes, it is on the main page and the public planning page. Okay. And I'd like to answer one other thing. You made the comment earlier about Facebook. We're required by law 
to have it on the newspaper and put it in the courthouse. And that is what the law requires. And yes, I agree with you, things are changing. But talk to your legislators about that. But just so everybody knows, the emails that are coming in, I've been reading through them, compiling them, kind of put putting them in where they fit into the ordinance, uh, where the letters are, and, you know, so you're just not winging it out here and throwing it out here, where it would apply in here, and it'll be a, a topic of discussion. So I, I, I did it so that way that when we read down through there, oop, here's one, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it and discuss it, come to a, an agreement on where that should be, you know, what the details on that would be, and, and then proceed that way in, in somewhat of an orderly fashion. But that, that is one way to encourage people to respond by that, that supervisor email. That way, that, that's kind of the common collection thing. Because frankly, I don't want my, I, I'm just gonna say it, I don't want my phone going kaboom every time because everybody's got work shifts and things like that. If you send it to an email, it's a central location, it's there, it's timestamped. It's, you know, it's there where I can go back and I can read that thing three times if I got to, versus a phone call at oh, dark 30 a.m. or something. Mm -hmm. okay. So that's the idea of, of the, the common collection point of that. So Chet, is the way that the first ordinance was read that night, does it support RWE coming in? Does it, is it covering everything you're asking for? RWE, I think, made some uh, recommendations on there, uh, and they, the, the planning and zoning molded amongst themselves and decided to bring it forward to us. They made the recommendation to bring it to us. Now, we have the ability to mold that further and, and add, tweak, and yeah, that, that's not good, whatever like that, and, and bring it, come up with a final product. So right now, does it allow for everything that they're asking for? No, there, there's some things that uh, are still still differences there. Are there things that would prohibit them from coming into the town? Say your question again. Are, is the ordinance now reading at any way would prohibit them from coming into the county? That they would look at it and say, nope, they don't want us there. As it reads right now, I, I think they could put put into business. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Would that be your general understanding? Uh, yes, I agree with that because I know what they've had in the past and what they've worked with. Yes. <laughs> so what I remember from the meeting on that Thursday was that Matt has said that he agreed with the ordinances that were read. And then we had a citizen of Henry County say they didn't agree with it. So. That's what we're taking into consideration. Yes. So the next thing he says he didn't agree with it. I just want to say, I came from New London. I lived there for 30 years. I was there when the windmill came in, the turbine. We were not given any opportunity to vote on it. They sent us a letter saying, this is going to be so great for the city. Our electricity, you're going to see a drop in it. 
That's why the city bought it, and it was millions of dollars. My electric bill went up every year. <laughs> Never saw right. any kind of deduction on it. Yeah. And if you ask anybody on that side of town, even though it's right outside the town, how loud that is, it's loud. I know friends that live there that say, man, I wish this thing wasn't here. So it doesn't go away. That's the kind of stuff I was getting at when right. I ask what communities right. think after it's been there sometimes. That's the kind of feedback I think it's important to us. And let me tell you something, I live clear on the other side of town from that thing. On the right day, I can hear it. Clear across town, and that'd be over a mile away. I can hear it. That one, that one so let's show the supervisors who's in favor of it now and who is not. Who's not in favor of them coming in? Why can't we vote on this as a community? Yeah. No, you don't want city people voting on it. Of our county, because we elected them. We elected them. Yeah, I just wanted to know how old the windmill was in New London. Well, I've been gone 10 years, and it was there at least probably, probably pushing 10 years. It's 2011. It's a, it's a 1.5 machine, um, so it's pretty dated, and, and you know, these, these newer machines, even though they're, they're taller, but they're they're more efficient. They're not. Aren't they serviced every year? Well, let me tell you, it breaks down a lot. And if it's, it is an older, I know it's an older turbine, though. Why it is, so technology hasn't been there at certain points. It's not. I'm not asking for your address, but like, where where are you guys from? Like, where do you live? Speedwood. I'm from uh, a town called Woodridge. It's southwest of like Chicago by an hour. I'm from Lionel Lake, Minnesota. It's where I grew up and live. I live in St. Paul currently, but I'm from Lionel Lake. Based out of Park Ridge, Illinois, right next to Chicago. I live in Denver. I'm from Eastern Plains of Colorado. Um, I had some math questions. You said 30,000 total acres is 100%-ish? Well, depending on how the land comes together. So you're at 17, 7-something, right? Right now? How many total people <laughs> sign leases? Over 120 landowners. So how, how many, so it's 17,700 acres right now. How many windmills would that be? Roads. A turbine takes up around um, one third to a, a half or two thirds an acre. So, a with access road. So, you, it's not a, the, the signed acreage accounts for a lot of other aspects of the project, it, but the turbine itself is only taking up, like if you want to round up, you could say one acre. But it's. Well, give me an idea of how much rent per acre in this lease. That, we answer that that is proprietary. <laughs> 
No, I know they said that earlier, but like, what, I mean, we can kind of be creative. What the numbers they gave us is right at fifty bucks an acre. Fifty dollars an acre for farm ground for a side. Okay. We're looking at per per turbine is about four hundred and you're getting roughly with with infrastructure <laughs> collection lines access roads you're getting close to thirty thousand dollars for just that half to two-thirds of acre of land per year but we're all neighbors and we're using weird language it's not a neighbor I just want to say the uh, Doom London turbine is 
So you're going to take the questions that were unanswered tonight and put them in a, a email and send it to us? Is that the follow-up? Is well, that what you're saying? It'd be, I mean, if we get your, it'd be nice to call you to talk to talk. But I mean, yeah, email well, is one way. Well, it's a massive group. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just, how does that information come back and will it be disseminated? So it's not like we have to get to 35 years to repower the project. If we have enough buy-in, maybe we repower it sooner. But when we repower it, it's going to maybe be the same height as what was approved. But the generator will be new, and it'll have maybe a higher output. So landowners are going to get compensated even more because they get compensated on the output of the machine. So we did repower that one. So yeah, so 
So that one, because um, you know, we want it. We our whole goal is to produce electricity. So, so 2007, that made it like 25 years. We're talking about 26 years that's been around. But that turbine was for a 25 year time frame at that time when it was produced, not what it is today at the best is sustaining at 35 years. Yeah, the warranty is different. Yeah. Right. So, so, but you don't have the history with the warranty to 35 years to say, you know, you kind of like buying one off the dishwasher. Eh, it's limited, you know, it might work, it might not. You don't have that information. You don't have that data to say that you're, these are going to last 35 years before they repower. You don't, you don't know that. Well, we're going off of what the manufacturers said. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. the manufacturers. Yeah. You have another question? Yeah, I, I do. Um, back to the wind turbine thing and the <laughs> lights and everything, where did you say and when did you say that that ordinance or that the FAA gave you a certificate that says you could do that? No, no, that's what we I would apply to the FAA once okay. I get there in the development process, right. and they would because approve that. I'm looking, at an ordinance. I'm looking at the law from the FAA right now. It's 2020. It doesn't say anything about being able to shut them off. And I got this directly from the FAA website, which was given to me directly by a gentleman that I know that works at the FAA. So telling me that you can shut these things off right now, where'd you come up with that one at? testimony I think shouts from rooftops here mm -hmm. I mean as far as I mean she's the one that said that you know they're loud they're noisy you know along with the gentleman in the back talking about you know us all being neighbors I mean that to me is huge and that's reality that's not some and of these statistics it doesn't go away yeah it's, it's not they, they say 35 52 years whatever yeah it's a lifetime yeah. and we were never given that opportunity just like right now we can't vote on this and we weren't given that opportunity either but I'll tell you what if we'd have been given the opportunity that that thing would never have been in yeah. and I think that speaks well 
Uh, I'm just giving some thought for this meeting coming up, and uh, I'd like to present something here more to the people that are here. We all are Americans, right? There's many people who are trying to get into here in our country. What is one of our birthrights at America? Set some of us apart from us, some other countries. We can own land. Uh, so that is our birthright. And I was thinking of a Bible story from Genesis 25. For Esau, he sold his birthright for a bowl of pottage. Afterwards, it says the next chapter, he tried to regain it, though he sought it bitterly with tears. He could not find it. He regretted it to no avail. Well, we sell our rights, our land, for 12 bushel of corn. I took the 883,000 paid out so far by 17,000 acres and come out to 51.94 per acre. I rounded off for $52. I realized that is just the assessment. So we're gonna sell our birthright for that long ahead of time for one bushel of beef or almost 12 bushel of corn. How things are changing, that's looking, we can't look ahead, but we can look backwards how things have changed from 1980 to 1924. You know, just taking an average of 45 years. What are we giving up by selling, you know, selling our birthright, rights to our land? It's just a statement for our people to think about. Can I piggyback on that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, these <coughs> Do you guys know how much farmland sells for an acre in Iowa to what it was 10 years ago and 30 years ago? You guys get to use the land, so I'm thinking if anybody pay attention, we still own the land, but they get to use it. We don't get to make the money, we just give them price of corn. That's how that's our lifestyle. So that that is the biggest math that doesn't make sense. Is that we have to watch acre after acre get sold people who don't live here, who hunt it once a year, or live in a foreign country, and that's exactly what's going on. There's only so much land, and people here make food, they're all over food. So you guys get to make money off of the land, but you, you still own it. That's a war on words. They get to own it, but our name is on paper. I, I just want to also state, like, the footprint of the project 30,000 acres that we lease, the footprint is actually at two-thirds, say at the high end, you're looking at what, maybe like 40 acres used of on top of the ground, mm -hmm. and then the operations building, and then also the, the substation, that is land that I have to purchase so I can build an ops building for the crew to go to. The substation is land that I have to purchase as well, and that land that I'm purchasing if you're on the transmission line or you want an ops building, I'll pay you 45,000 an acre for up to 20 acres. Is land going that high right now in Iowa? I think I'm paying a good premium on that. With like what I'm saying, getting back to is, so 30,000 acres, I'm only taking up for this project, maybe 60 acres total of infrastructure above ground. So. What about when the windmill starts over though and takes out four acres? What about that? Huh? Crop damage. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's taking up more than an acre because this is over in Illinois, 
by Galesburg, Illinois. I, there's five of them knocked over because the, the ratio of this was too bad. Okay, we paid crop, not me, yeah, but yeah, another company paid crop why, damages why for that. Why you put the possibility of things breaking over? I mean, it's, it's dangerous. It's so rare. Yeah, it's incredibly Out of 72 plus thousand, it, it is yeah. a very rare occurrence. Yeah. So I know that it has happened, but but it's not something that we assume is going to happen because it's, it's so rare. Since 2015, it's happened eight times over Illinois. Eight times out of Illinois has probably thousands of turbines. Yeah, full of them, ran around and went through them. <laughs> shareholdings in this business. Who does? Qatar, a foreign country in the Middle East. And I personally don't feel comfortable with the foreign country having that much into America. That's not, that's not right. I just want to, for those of you that have signed on, I would be more than happy to pray for you because the contract that you've signed, you've given your land away. And I don't want to villainize you, but I hope that you realize that this is a much bigger picture, much bigger picture than what it is. Mm -hmm. We have a special land around us that very few people have an opportunity to be a part of. And you have signed it away for generations ahead of us. And as a public, we're the ones that are gonna have to look at this and listen to the grumblings. And if we need to go get data, I'm gonna jump in a vehicle and I'm gonna go to a lot of these communities that have put these things up. And I'm gonna ask for town hall meetings in those locations after 10 years of them being up. And we're gonna come back and we're gonna have a meeting and we're gonna discuss what they said to us. Because we're not gonna get the information from RWE of 10 years later what these communities are saying so some of us will go out and do that and we will have an announcement and see if we can bring a group of people together and we'll discuss what, what our findings are but i do i do pray for all of you that have signed on to this i really do hope that you know what you've done and if you didn't have an attorney check it over i'm sorry yes sir <laughs> well you talked about a foreign country part of it you talked about land rights I had the contract in front of me. I, mean, I know you have confidentiality with it. Am I allowed to read a paragraph from it? Every country. Okay, if we sign it over, we give you an easement to cut down and remove all trees, brush, vegetation, and electrical hazards now or hereafter, which might obstruct receipt of access to the wind flow through the property and danger their operations as determined by the grantee. That's you. You can cut down every ounce of corn we have, all our beans, on everything we signed to you, our entire field, every year for 35 years. When you sell it to a foreign country, they can do that. That's why I'm not signing it. I wanted wind turbines. I'm not from the area. I don't have to look at the lights. That line is huge. Yeah. Uh, 
Thank yeah. you for bringing that up in the vegetation and you're talking about, you know, like I said before, we are not in the business to just <coughs> clear out fields. And even if we did, we're paying 140% on all of that. Um, but that language is well, in there because, <coughs> because we need to put in those collection lines and those collection lines are gonna try to go from turbine to turbine in the most direct route so we can make sure we can get to the properties that we have signed up to those eight miles away if needed. So that's why that language is in there to help us, because we, we would, but then like, you know, clear that corn for just that say five, six feet of collection no, no. line. This says you could do it on every acre I have for every year and you can sell it to China. You can sell it to whoever. That's what it says legally. The lease is to lease the land. There's no sale of, I mean, we could sell the project to a, a buyer, but the lease is too. to lease the land. But I, I'm familiar with that clause. It has been brought up in other areas. We have had instances where landowners want to modify it. And so then we just work with our internal legal counsel to modify that clause. In, in reality, the way we see this work out is we don't just clear your form, but I understand, you know, if you wanted the, the language to be more explicit about that, then we could work with you on that. But, but the reality is it's just that there's an obstruction or just for collection lines. So I know you're taking it on our word. I just, I get I have it. to go by what's written. You guys seem fine. I went on your tour. I saw what Cater had. We were great there. But when you go home, I have to have a piece of paper. My piece of paper says they can clear it every year. Well, it's 52, yeah, 52 years, not 55. So I, I want you to know that you can't, we can talk about modifying certain mm -hmm. paragraphs of that, of the lease. So in that one in particular, I have had modified in other projects. So like we, so I please can talk say, to us. Hey, we can only, we can only take up say, maybe not six feet, give us at least 20 feet to work with along a tree line or something that we, if we enter your property with a collection line, we have to stay within that corridor. We can work with you with that. Yeah. And I just question what people signed up already, if they really know what they legally signed on that line. <laughs> I got my doubts. Yeah. Why would you put that in the contract in the first place? And then say, oh, we'll negotiate that with you. That's, that is, I work in negotiations. <laughs> That's what I do for a living. <coughs> if you came to me and told me that in the negotiation, I'd look at you and go, go away. Go away. Just I don't I'm not even gonna deal with somebody that does that. Because what that's saying is I'm trying to slip something by you. I'm gonna slip this in here. Even if you have zero intent of doing it, you have stated in that contract. I can do anything I want with that land that I am not paying you fair market value for because now I own it. That's exactly what that says. So why, if you're such good at this, why would you put that in your contract to start with? Why would you not say minimum amount or, I mean, there's a thousand better ways to word it than saying we can clear everything. Why would you put that in your contract? Yeah, I don't want question. you to answer. No, I'm going to no, answer because no, I, I want know that. No, okay. I am the project she's developer. And you are petrified. Come on, Gabriel. I am the project developer. Okay, so I'm going to answer the question. You know so, as you know, when when you're looking at contracts, you want flexibility where you can without screwing someone over. So, if the contract gives us, if we're able to look at all the land and have that ability, it gives us maximum amount of buildable area on Which someone's land. That, that when, when that you do, when, 
when you are restricted, when you are restricted, we can negotiate with the landowner to then work in that corridor. But when you do that, it restricts us on our billable area. You are not. I think I am. I deal in this every day. I do property leasing every day. That is my job. You did not answer my question. I have been doing it for 12 years. How long have you been doing it? Not answering your question. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. At least you're honest. Because I answered it already. Any further questions? Yes, sir. Uh, when you guys talk about the setback, uh, is a county road like a gravel road? Is that like it, it would be included, or or you can jump over that if there's no houses in the way? You understand what I'm saying? Like with the collection line. So if if you want to put a, a windmill here and it's only a thousand feet to the county road, <laughs> is that a deal breaker, or 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 you can as long as there's nothing there, you can. That doesn't, you know, doesn't count. Yeah, so the ordinance right now is 1.1 times the tip height from a public roadway. <coughs> now, if we okay. have a turbine at 1.1 times the tip height, 650 okay. feet would be 715 feet from that from that right of way. We can have a tower on the other side of that, 715 feet from the public right of way, with the collection line going underneath the county road, and we would have to get that crossing agreement um, through the county through that process. I, have a question. Okay. I guess this is more for you. Uh, what do you find? Is is there a increased land value slash incre increased assessment on property that has a windmill? Are, are there are there property taxes going to be higher after they get a windmill that produces um, money for them? I get the assessors. Forget that there's turbines in the county because they've been there for a while and they're like, yeah, there's nothing, but they just kind of, the constituents are like, yeah, they're cool now. Or, uh, yeah, they're, or they're. Just say you don't know the I do know the That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So they're either nothing, no change, usually no change. I want to say a little beneficial, but I'm going to say stick with no change. I have one more question. If your property tax goes up and we work with the tax assessor and if the property goes the property tax goes up and it's because of the infrastructure of our project, we work, work with the county assessor to make sure that bill is separate, the landowner never sees it come straight to RWE, and we pay those taxes on the infrastructure on the landowner's property. Did you hang with it? Did you fast forward? Whatever you do, back it up, watch it again. It's all there for you to hear from the folks' mouths that were here tonight.
It's all been brought to you by Grinder Auto Body, Car Doctor, McDonald Boneyard, Hinshaw Trailer Sales, Girling Repair, B&B Propane, and the family of Jet Stops. I'm your host, Giant Bane. Stay friendly, Southeast Iowa.